birthday? You want to watch some TV or something? Skip it. Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Nothing but foul language and toilet humor. I'm disgusted and repulsed and and I can't look away. I need these things. I need these things. No way, no way, Jose. <laughs> this just in, go to hell! This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Welcome, one and all, to episode two of Watch Skip Plus. We are happy you are back with us, or if this is your first time because you saw Prey was in the title, welcome. I am the Cinemascus Justin. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Cupcake Jose. Hello, hello. And we are not alone this week. No, 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 no. We have a very special guest. We're diving right into them. We have our good friend, Masaki, or Landon, a.k.a. Masaki, oh. I should say. Maybe I should do that backwards. Landon, hello. Welcome. Hi. I am fanboying already. Um, it's great. <laughs> yes. Uh, Landon has a YouTube channel uh, called Masaki, where he has his own mm -hmm. show, which Jose has guested on already, called Was It That Bad? So we are happy to have him on here. Yes, I yep. am very excited. Yes, even if uh, a little behind-the-scenes folks, he's not a fan of Captain Marvel, and I may uh, intentionally uh, warn my Captain uh, Marvel show today just to mess uh, with him. But hey, he's we're, we're, we're gonna we're gonna have it out one day on Masaki about why Captain Marvel is amazing. But <laughs> that'll be a whole twelve-hour episode of me arguing about it. <laughs> I'm gonna be on there too, but I'm not gonna say anything. I'm just gonna have popcorn okay. in the background. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> now, before we get to our pluses and the Prey review, we said last week that we would have more information on where to find us. And, well, first and foremost, you found us hopefully on Anchor.fm or Spotify. But we are not just on those two platforms anymore. We are also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, and Amazon Music. So, any of those places, if you prefer getting your content from there, our RSS feed is on there. Let me know if there are any issues. And if you do want to send us feedback, well, Anchor.fm does, I think, have a button where you can message. You can give that a shot. Um, I believe it's just going to send to our Gmail account, or you can just email us directly at watchskipplus, all one word, all typed out, at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you. That's and, amazing. you know, I, I was about to add the whole like, and wherever you get any of your podcasts. <laughs> I'm hoping, look at Google. I am hoping within like a couple of episodes, which is everywhere, like you're going to go he down. will be. Yeah, you're going to go to your local Walmart. There's going to be some guy uh, peddling like USB rips of our shows. And he's like, hey, I got some Watch Skip Plus for you, you know. <laughs> so we're going to get there. I promise. I hope so. Go in the I movie so. section, and I'm sure it will be by the $1 copy of Morbius. So, <laughs> oh. uh, I think at this point, you, they're going to pay you to take Morbius out of their store. Please. <laughs> <laughs> I need my whole room just to be Morbius. That's it. Yeah, we got to make more, so, more billion bucks first, and then you can yeah. move it out. It's more yeah. of a time. So, Landon, do you, do you want to... Um, 
maybe just like briefly introduce yourself however you wish and talk about your channel a little bit oh god um <laughs> oh no what do i say um okay sure uh hi there i am either masaki or landon don't get it confused with anything um i have a channel where i do a kind of podcast thing kind of show thing um called was it that bad just look that up on youtube i'm trying to get it on spotify it doesn't work that well but i'm trying um i was on well jose was on and we talked about morbius eternals and nope when that happened and I think next time he's on, it will be, what did we say? Captain Marvel in Jurassic World Dominion. Dominion, definitely. I was going <laughs> to joke Captain Marvel, but yeah, I guess it does make sense. It's the most hated MCU movie. As it deserves to be. No. no. Oh, it is not the most hated. <laughs> Better than uh... Iron Man 2. <laughs> yeah, that's a brief situ situation explanation about me um also if troy if you are listening right now moon knight is incredibly good and you <laughs> suck at giving opinions okay sorry <laughs> I, every time i'm on any show i'm bringing that up uh, the should... folks here at Watch Skip Plus do want to say that we do not endorse or represent Landon's comments. They are his own. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Exactly. exactly. And we should we should also say that um, Landon is uh, the son of a good friend of ours, Samurai. So, in fact, Landon, your third nickname could be Son of Samurai. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, um, it works. He, but no. He's a co-host with the... <laughs> Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. And then, of course, he mentioned Troy, who is one of the uh, hosts of Not a Bomb. Uh, both brothers, uh, podcast brothers to us. So, yeah. <laughs> and you know what? We, maybe if we took like a DNA test, maybe long lost brothers or 23rd cousins. Who knows? Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go with podcast brothers. That sounds better. Pretty sure Troy is Abraham Lincoln's goldfish. So we should be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Zinger. Um, all right. I guess I guess we could start with pluses. I think uh, Land, uh, Landon Masaki, we let you know uh, that we do have like a plus, which would be something that stuck with us from our past week. It could be anything. Oh. It could be, you know, something you are watching. It could be a video oh, yeah. game like okay. Land, like uh, Justin did last week. Did so. Stray, yeah. Did you finish What's that? Your, uh, plus? Yes, oh. I did finish Stray. Okay. Um... Ooh, plus. Okay, so literally yesterday at like 12 a.m., I decided to watch The Black Phone, which was, I guess, better than I expected, but wasn't amazing. I loved how yeah. Ethan Hawke gave his performance. That's basically it. All I can say about it is, I'm not going to spoil anything, but... um. Box and phone. There you go. That's your description of the whole thing. I, I like that. I kind of wish when I did my capsule review, I should have just said, Ethan Hawke was great, box and phone. Box, uh, phone, baseball. Yeah, there I know this one has gotten a lot of love, and I'm happy to see it getting love. However, I, I, I do want, I'm thinking of giving it a revisit, because I will admit when I saw it in the theaters, there were a couple of annoying people in the crowd. Oh, yeah. That... 
usually I only ever get that with horror movies, but that may that have do it. hurt it a little bit. I just felt the supernatural elements, which I know were the biggest part of the story. For some reason, they just did not connect with me. I think, especially once you got, and without spoiling anything, uh, the ideas in the trailers that he's getting calls from other kids that were abducted by Ethan Hawke. The grabber. The grabber. And I just felt that sometimes they were a little bit too convenient, whether they what they could give him was either prudent information or just wasn't enough and granted most horror movies are like that especially haunting ghost kind of movies and i'm usually forgiving mm-hmm. of those i think maybe it's because there was such a very creepy vibe with ethan hawk and the more grounded child abduction stuff that the two just didn't gel as well for me yeah. i did think it was well made i thought the kids were fine like you said ethan hawk was fantastically creepy in it so yes for that alone i'd still say it's worth a watch but Landon, had you had any familiarity with the story or, or where it where it came from, like who wrote it before you watched it or just no, the trailers? I looked up right before if it was a true story. It just said it was a short story that they had to extend because they wanted to make it a film. Yeah. So, Which, if I'm going to make an argument, I sometimes would prefer extending short stories to movies as opposed to having to mm-hmm. excise gigantic. I was glad that it was a true story. That sounds wrong. I don't mean I'm glad the children were kidnapped. I don't mean that. I think we know. I, uh, or I, I get yelled it. at. Um, <laughs> By the way, listeners, just, he, Landon does not condone kidnapping yes, or nor does watch skip plus. Your basement. <laughs> None of us yes. here condone kidnapping yeah, we, or child abduction or anti-serial killer and, no, and kidnapper. Just but unless you do like them in a fictionalized setting, because they are. Unless if you're Ethan Hawke, you can kidnap me. I'll give you anything. Um, uh, I'll probably kidnap Troy just to make him watch Moon Knight. Uh, did he finish it? Because it gets know. better. Uh, what else do I have to say? Oh, yeah. Uh, I hated... One thing I hated about it is when... Oh, yeah, here's the van. Oh, time to go black now. Black screen. Oh, now I'm going in the Matrix again, ain't I? Nope. <laughs> My camera's working. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's about it, I think. Did you see it yet, Jose? Oh. Oh, I think we lost Jose. Oh, no. Oh, no. The grabber got him. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. There he's there, right. Is he back? still there? I think... I had some bizarre tech. Did I? Did I freeze? Was I like? Yeah, you just got, we thought the grabber got you. You just got Vecna's mid mid episode. Oh my god! Well, it's giving me a signal that that the internet connection is unstable. I, I don't know what's oh, happening Lord. over here, mm. which kind of sucks. But where? where well, I think it happened on? right when Landon hit his screen. Uh, yeah, I somehow it sent technical interference to you. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna touch it. Wait. <laughs> um. Okay, I'm good now. Uh, well, Justin, you will have some things to edit. <laughs> or, you know what? I kind of want to keep that in just because it, <laughs> we once you that hear in. us like reacting to it, that's, that's prime material. Yeah. yeah. Oh, perfect. Then I want comedy gold. <laughs> then I definitely want to see it. But, um, uh, did you know Joe Hill? Do you know who Joe Hill is? No. Okay. So it's, um, I, I didn't know this until after I, I finished watching the movie but apparently joe hill wrote the short story joe hill is Mm -hmm. stephen king's son and so i think you can kind of see where a lot of Mm -hmm. the supernatural stephen king yeah yeah and i haven't read that story but my friend did and she did say that it 
the movie did feel a little bit stretched out in spots, but she thought it was a pretty good adaptation. Yeah. What did you think of the uh, supernatural elements of 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 all of this, like the the ghost and the fact? Oh, you mean like the random child just like this randomly? No. (laughs) Oh, let me point my flashlight. Oh. Um. (laughs) Interesting. I. Oh my gosh. What's his name? Oh, Vance. The you know one with the long frizzy mullet. I guess you could say the blonde (laughs) mullet. He's my literal favorite. In the whole thing, easily. Got it. <laughs> um, but altogether, it was really interesting to see because honestly, I thought what was going to happen was he gets grabbed and then the whole screen goes black again and cut to title card. And that's about it. And then next thing you know, Blumhouse makes a part two. So, yeah, I am. Um... I don't know. I I think I was kinder to it when 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 I saw it in the theater. Um, I, I like that they kind of they don't so much introduce the supernatural elements like mm-hmm. the sister being clairvoyant and all that stuff. So much as they just sort of are like, well, everybody recognizes it, right? Like the detectives are like, hey, you're the little girl that sees things, and it's sort of like accepted in this like small town, which I think is why it has to be sort of set in the small town, I guess. Um, but I like that aspect of it. I like the fact that the, the little girl was like, had like a potty mouth, that principal scene alone, like made it completely worth it for me. Um, I also like the addition. I know this kind of like rubbed everybody the wrong way, but the sort of like, uh, coked out conspiracy theory brother of, uh, Ethan Hawks, that particular actor, James Ransone, I, I think he's, uh, magnificent and practically, everything he does if the movies he's in aren't aren't even all that great and and Ethan Hawke was pretty uh pretty terrifying, intimidating and but... pretty terrifying and yeah uh those masks apparently were were designed by Tom Savini I don't know if if you I know who that is but I love all the masks that checks out that yeah definitely mm. seems like something he's yeah. also been making masks well I guess he's not anymore but he was making masks for Bray Wyatt in WWE as well as who else was yeah it? There was something else. Really, I remember hearing that on some podcast. It was a some horror movie podcast, and he was on it, and he pointed out the fact that it had the grabber mask had inspiration from that. Yeah, I think he also did a mask for Callisto, maybe one of the Luchadors, but he did the. Oh my gosh, I don't want to say he did the Jason stuff. I'm pretty sure he worked on one of the Friday movies. Oh yeah, yeah, very prolific for. Yeah, he was a special effects guy. Like, Mm. I don't know. I think he was like ground zero for or for starting the whole like uh, practical gore effects kind of thing. Or he's like legendary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he he definitely became a one of the bigger poster boys in the early to mid '80s and throughout then uh, for his work on Friday Thirteenth and a lot of other films. And Mm. uh, I'm blanking on the name right now. I'm sure some of our listeners are screaming at me, but I know there was a low budget horror film right around the time of the first fright, few Friday 13th that that was their selling point. We have Tom Savini, you know, yes. Doing some of the makeup here. I think he even started his own school too. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I think it's now defunct, unfortunately, but what was that Landon? Nothing. I just said, probably he did. Oh, Oh yeah. Yeah. Was it the burning? That he well, did he did. Burning? I think he did the burning as well. But there was one, and I feel like maybe I'm wrong here that he might not have had as much work on this smaller project as he did on other ones. 
but they were upset with him or with them using his likeness. Got it. But I could Got be talking it. out of my rear end, so who knows? But you know, they do they do weird stuff like that. Like I remember uh, there was a trailer for um, I Know What You Did Last Summer, mm-hmm. and that had been screenwritten by um, Kevin Williamson. Yeah. But but in the trailer, which they had to retract, the original trailer said something along the lines of like from the creator of Scream, and as you know, I Know What You Did Last Summer is from a Louise Duncan. Um, like YA kids thriller novel and you know her estate was sort of like um you can't say it's a you know the Kevin Williamson didn't create I know what you did last summer he just did the the uh screenplay so um I can imagine Tom Savini was very protective of his name and wouldn't want something you know you know from the brainchild of the effects gore man from Friday 13th or what have you (laughs) He was also in. Um, he's also done his fair share of acting. Mm-hmm. Night Riders. Mm, yeah. Night Riders comes to mind, which I really love that movie. It's so it's so crazy, but I dug dig that film. And then of course uh, Friday or no, From Dust Till Dawn is uh, he he played uh, one of the uh, vampire hunters. And his yeah, that, most pivotal role, in my opinion, was Garbage Man Number Two in Creep Show. Yeah. <laughs> Good one. Good one. Good one. Um. Yeah, Landon, do you want to say anything more about uh, the Black Phone? What would you rate it, by the way? What what scale are we using? Oh, yeah, but there's no, many. <laughs> how, no, how about basic, how about watch or skip it? There's basic, <laughs> not a bomb. Um, there's <laughs> my scale, and then there's Ouch. watch or skip. Um, how about watch or skip? Okay. Uh, <laughs> depends on what you what kind of films you like. It could either be, do you like, I don't know if I should call Black Sun Horror. I'd say thriller, thriller, horror, drama, I don't know. It was classified as a drama, which shocked me, but um, Hmm. I'd say watch for the most part. Excellent. But I don't know. Yeah, I I would say, I would say it's like a horror thriller. Yeah. And, um. And I can't stress this enough. Like the the kid actors are great. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think there's always a tendency that like the kid actors are kind of annoying, um, but he the the lead and the sister they were they were yeah. excellent. excellent, excellent, excellent. There was a few misdirections of the way they said stuff. I mean, some of them were just randomly yelling, just to randomly yell, but it's fine. Yeah. Um. Justin, we'll pivot to Justin okay. for his plus right, for this week. So last week, Jose, your plus was a little tribute to Anne Hesch. And this week, mine is going to be a little tribute to Wolfgang Peterson, who recently passed away at the age of 81. Most known, I would say, for his work on films like Das Boot, The NeverEnding Story, uh, In the Line of Fire, The Perfect Storm, to a lesser extent, Troy... And to a much, much, much lesser extent, in my opinion, Outbreak in the Poseidon remake. Uh, regardless, <laughs> he is very prolific director. Very big loss. And it's actually funny because I had mentioned last week how it sometimes feels like half of my watches recently have just been tribute viewings. Not that it's a complaint, but just, you know, way of life. Well, I ended up watching In the Line of Fire like a few weeks 
prior to learning of his passing or before he actually passed. So I'm like, man, we're at a spot now where some of my viewings unintentionally end up being early, you know, honorary Mm -hmm. tribute viewings. Uh, But I'm kind of glad I did end up watching that one because I think that's a really good example of what made him a good director. Yes, he was very good with handling a lot of like thrillers and in the line of fire more and political but he always had a focus on characters, and that's where I think his strongest films, Das Boot especially, even The NeverEnding Story, for a film that is as fantastical as that, I think everyone remembers the kid and his connection with the horse especially. Um, and within The Line of Fire, that's where most of that works, is these interactions that Clint Eastwood has with not just the, the terrorist and John Malkovich, but also this kind of weird, and they touched upon it, but like love interest he had with Rene Russo, which when I was watching, it was early 90s. So, and granted, they were both full grown adults. I mean, she was probably in her 30s, but it's still a thing of like, even at that point, Clint Eastwood's getting close to retirement age, and like she's, you know, portrayed as younger, and he's kind of flirting with her. But they actually, unlike most films from, I'd say, around that time, like they called that out. And I think they also made it work too, because he he never really got past being the secret service agent because in that film, he, he blames himself for JFK being assassinated, which is kind of weird when you think about like, here we have a fictional thriller, but we're going to use an actual president's assassination as a plot point or uh, almost like a MacGuffin, but it still worked as being the reason that he never personally wanted to move higher up than he was in the secret service and being an undercover agent. And the other thing was he blames losing his wife and child through that because he just he couldn't cope with it. So he sees in Rene Russo almost where his trapped age is, like he's trapped there. So there's a part of me that kind of wishes they would have just kept flirting with that as opposed to kind of going the love angle. But I do think that was a very competently made and very tightly directed thriller. And that is very great representation of what Wolfgang Peterson was. And even in films, like I joked about Outbreak and Poseidon, where I may not have liked them as much because I didn't find the characters as engaging or maybe the thrills as exciting. He still had a really good way of guiding everything and making it feel very compact without feeling mechanical. I might not have liked Outbreak, but I'm not going to sit here and say that it was, well, maybe I did at the time, but (laughs) thinking back on it, it wasn't necessarily cookie cutter. It just, it didn't quite work bringing this virus out and I don't know, but very prolific director. Oh, and Air Force One. I don't know if I mentioned that one. That's another Mm -hmm. one of my favorites of his. Yeah. Yeah. Wolfgang Peterson, he's had very, uh, his movies I mean, I guess you could accuse him of being a commercial director in the sense that a lot of his projects, I mean, you know, obviously barring the never ending story and, and, and Das Boot, um, were either historical or part of the sort of like pop cultural zeitgeist. So historically we're talking Troy, the perfect storm, which was based on, you know, true events. Um, and then topical stuff like, you know, in the line of fire, et cetera. Um, but you know, even if he was quote unquote commercial, his films were always constantly entertaining, well done, just, you know, great actors in them. In the line of fire in particular, I mean, those leads, Malkovich, Rene Russo, Clint Eastwood, I mean, just absolutely compelling. Um, that movie stands out in my mind uh, just because I was, I remember seeing it in the theaters and just being mortified by the scene where he kills the sort of like, two sort of like overweight 
uh, or no, women that he sort of like preys on and they're all like, oh, this man's giving, you know, paying attention to us. And then he like cracks their necks and like kills them. I'm like, ah, and, just and the horrifying. way he does it in such a like he you know, he's not apologetic about it. But even in that moment, he still pretends to be like he can get so into that character. We are speaking of Malkovich, not not Eastwood. Malkovich yeah, uh, no, was no. the villain. He was uh taking pretty much almost two women hostage just to be able to use their location as a hideout. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. And, uh, and Renee Russo is really strong in that too. And, um, you know, I'm pretty sure that that character probably was a man, um, potentially. And then hopefully they, you know, they, they changed around and, and, you know, cast Renee, um, I love Russo, by the way. Oh, I um, always do. She's just, you know, she has chemistry with, I think, every single person she's been in a film with. She just has such a warm personality and magnetic performances. I love her. She, I mean, she's gorgeous. And I will tell you, my favorite movie of 1999, the year that The Matrix was released, my favorite movie of that year was John McTiernan's remake of The Thomas Crown Affair with Rene Russo and Pierce Brosnan. Um, just specifically because she's great in it. Pierce is great in it. It's romantic. Here we have, we have an older mature actress. She's practically naked in the Thomas crown affair, but she's also strong. She's an equal to Pierce Brosnan. And there's this whole like romantic cat and mouse thing going on and no one paid attention. Now I'm not going to lay all that at the matrix's feet. Right. But I'm just saying that, Nobody paid attention to it. I think she should have been nominated at least for a Golden Globe or an Oscar or something for that movie. I mean, she's she's fantastic. But back to Wolfgang Peterson. Yes, um, he is definitely going to be missed. I think the director's cut for Dust Boot is floating around on streaming. So if anybody has not seen that, I mean, it's epic. It's long. It's it, pretty fantastic. Mm-hmm. So Agreed. Landon, Landon, have you seen any, have you seen the movies that, that we've been listing for Wolfgang Peterson, like Troy air force one in the line no. of fire. I've heard okay. of them, but no. Yeah. 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 Well, maybe you're, yeah. Well, the never ending story. Have you seen that? Oh yes. Yeah. Outside of the never ending. That. It's yep. great. I was going to say outside of the never ending story. I didn't see a Wolfgang film until probably my mid teens. So air force one, um, I tend to forget sometimes that he did the never ending story and that's not a, uh, a negative against him at all. That's just, it's the same thing as I sometimes forget George Miller did the Babe films. It's not he did a terrific job on them. It's just it's not what your mind associates those directors with right away. Right, right. Um, well, I guess uh, I guess you don't do a watcher skip on what you've you've seen. Yeah, you, watch your it's skip. an obvious watch. It's oh, an yeah, obvious you watch. definitely watch Wolfgang Peterson's. <laughs> So you know what you can if we have to do it skip Outbreak and his Poseidon remake but see I thought Outbreak was great which also I think I might be in the minority a lot of people yeah it does a lot of people seem to like it I just I don't know it didn't work for me at all but it's also kind of a disaster film and those are very tricky to kind of work for me and I going in I thought I'd like it more because it was Wolfgang so the aspects of disaster movies that always feel the weakest where and that's being the characters because there's usually not much care put into them. Uh, there was to a degree. I just, I don't know. I mean, I liked the performers in it. I liked Renee Russo in it. I just, I, I thought maybe that the way the story was handled was a little bit too goofy, I guess. I don't know. It's been a little while since I've seen it. I just, 
I remember. It's very, it's very topical. Maybe even eerily prescient, given the you know what though COVID. I, the I did watch it at the beginning of COVID too, so I think that actually probably <laughs> hurt it more because living in it and then seeing the the you know a more fictionalized version from a couple you know decades prior. But yeah, that's that scene in the theater though still haunts me where the guy's coughing and then it follows the microbes as it infects all the other people. Like, and then Ebola, I remember Ebola being such a huge scare. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just, maybe this is just me because I have OCD and I have anxiety, but like, I remember being scared to death that I was going to get Ebola and I was going to bleed out into like, a puddle of blood and then just die horrifically. And then outbreak did not help because (laughs) even though it's fictionalized Ebola, you know, Peterson was again, very topical and bringing, you know, horror to the masses. Also, doesn't that movie features Kevin Spacey? Isn't he in it? Mm -hmm. He's in it. Yeah. I mean, great actor, just it's, too bad. That's a role that's easier though to watch now. It's going to be much harder to go back and watch like American Beauty or even that one scene in Baby Driver with him. So, yeah. at least in that regard. Yeah. Also, since you brought up Ebola, not to get off on too much tangent, have you ever seen Ebola Syndrome there, Jose? No. Uh, yeah, definitely. Do. Maybe, maybe we'll do a bonus episode someday. I want to. Who directed wanna... Ebola Syndrome? I'm just going to let you do some research on that one. Okay. You can do it after okay. the show, but it's uh, I'm being kind of devilish right now. It's, it's great. It's just it's. I think he's researching right now. Is it a porn parody? No, what it's a happening? category three film. <laughs> oh, got it, got it, got it. Actually, you know what? It's 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 on the Google search. Like when you do it, oh yeah, it comes up as something. Oh my God. Okay. Uh, we definitely have to do this. I'm <laughs> loving this right now. Just the description. Um, all right. Not to keep anybody in suspense. It says here, <laughs> Ebola syndrome, 1996, a Chinese restaurant worker wanted for murder in Hong Kong contracts Ebola in South Africa, becomes immune to it and unknowingly spreads the virus there then comes back to Hong Kong and continues to infect people with it. That sounds nightmarish. Mm-hmm. And some of the pictures that I'm looking at, I'm my stomach's already turning. So um, looks like it stars Anthony Chow Sang Wong um, and some other notable Hong Kong actors, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would we pair up Shing. very nicely. We should do a double of The Untold Story from a few years prior as well. As that yes. is also the same director, uh, same star, and same category three. Uh, they are very twisted films, and they work together so very well. So, uh, Landon, I'm, I'm sure you've never heard of this, but the mm-hmm. and, and for the listeners too, category three, which I learned from Justin, I can't believe I didn't know this, um, is sort of their rating system in Hong Kong cinema, I guess. And category three would kind of be, I guess, like our NC-17 yeah. in some ways. Mm-hmm. Am I right about that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I would say compared to anything that has an NC-17 release here in the States, it's usually nine times out of 10, not always, but most of those category three films are really vile and grotesque is why they're getting it more than anything else. I feel like a lot of our NC-17 films is just because of maybe sexual content uh, more than anything. Everybody's so prudish about nudity, but um, yeah, the recent Korean movie, the sadness 
that is most definitely a category three film <laughs> just to warn anybody trigger warning. If you're going to watch the Korean movie, the sadness, I saw stuff in there that I, I, I just wait until you see the untold story in Ebola syndrome. <laughs> Excellent. All right. So I guess, I guess I'm going to do my plus. Mm-hmm. If I hear um, Captain Marvel, I've no, it's not. Share. Although I won't Captain Marvel will gets say, the Ebola. I was no <laughs> Captain Marvel versus <laughs> Ebola. I would pay to watch that. Um, of course you would. I, I mean, listen, I had to, I had to break down and buy or subscribe to Disney Plus and Hulu precisely because of Prey, but also because um, I think an actor I really, really love, Alden Ehrenreich, he's he's apparently going to be on some Marvel show in the future. I'm bl- I'm drawing a blank on what show he's going to be a part show? of. Oh, Wait, Ironheart. Yes. He's going to be part of yes. Ironheart. But but I am in love with Alden Ehrenreich. I mean, Ehrenreich. Uh, this will be a common trend in this podcast. Um, Jose being in love with practically everybody, mm. but um, Alden in particular. <laughs> yes. But, be a but, none, but nonetheless, Captain Marvel, um, interestingly enough, on Disney+, Plus, it airs or it streams in enhanced IMAX, which I did not uh. know about. And so here I was watching it on Blu-ray, and then it's in enhanced IMAX. <laughs> this was actually your insane. fault, Landon, because I don't think this was going to be his plus. God, <laughs> no, it's, no, it's, it's, actually, it's actually not my plus. My plus is Scooter and I digested, which I think is a great pun, uh, the new Resident Evil series on um, Netflix. Uh, so that, that premiered on July 14th. Was um, anyone not? F- oh, what's that? Wasn't that bad? <laughs> wait, 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 wait! I love it. <laughs> so, so Resident Evil, in case anybody doesn't know, obviously is based on the video game, um, of which there was a million offshoots of those yes. video games and sequels, and then Resident Evil Four uh, is the I, best. I believe I'm not a gamer, so I'm. Uh, I will be very honest. I'm not familiar with the games themselves, but I am familiar with the Paul W.S. Anderson um, storied franchise of six films. Um, I would definitely call them guilty pleasures, although they're technically well-made. Um, directed by Paul W.S. Anderson and starring Mila Jovovich, who, by the way, is married to Paul W.S. Anderson. Um, so that was six films, and it's made an astounding $1 billion combined for all six of those films. Although we will say Top Gun Maverick just passed like $1 billion and a half or something. It's, it's climbing. Um, and then there was a reboot recently called mm-hmm. Welcome, uh, Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City that, again, rebooting the story um, and featuring some of the hottest young actors. I mean, this cast was pretty amazing. The film was actually pretty good too. Kaya Skoladero, um, Avin Jogia, Hannah John Kamen, Tom Hopper. Hopper, by the way, is rumored to be the next James Bond. I don't see it, but Henry he is, Cavill. Henry Cavill. He is Sorry. Hot. Oh no, no, no. They cannot. Henry I'm Cavill Henry cannot Cavill. be. I'm getting Henry Cavill as everyone since he got fired as Superman. <laughs> he needs to be Reed Richards, James Bond. I'll. I'll I'll let him be the whole MCU. I don't care. He can't be all of those people. And besides which, 
he, he probably should take more acting classes before he Ooh. becomes any more of those people. Ooh, shots fired. Um, um, can I can I throw in a recommendation for Bond? And it is an actor who, who appeal, appears in Welcome to Raccoon City. Donald who? Logue. Donald Logue for James Bond. Let's do it. I would do it because I think he's hot. Uh, I love him. Well, he's, he's but that's actor. not going to work. No, he, oh, we won't get cast, but I would love it. Let's go out of the top two. The top contender I'm hearing now, the top two contenders I'm hearing now are Jared Idris Leto. Elba. And um, Regé Jean Page. I don't see the latter. I do not see the latter. Um, having just seen him in The Gray Man on Netflix. But I definitely do see Idris Elba. I'd like to throw in to my hat, who I'd like to see, James Bond. Um, I think there's a gentleman named Leo Souter, um, British actor. He is currently on Vikings Valhalla. Um I think he'd make in the vein of a Daniel Craig and like an emotional Brit, like British actor who can bring the acting weight, but he's also very physically uh, beautiful. Where am I going with this? I'm sorry. He he can definitely do the stunts in Vikings Valhalla. I will say that. But Leo Souter, um, you know, the broccolis, if you're listening, please check that man out. Um, anyway, it's- so. Go ahead. It's 2022. Tom Holland will be the next James Bond nowadays. So <laughs> no. I would be very surprised no. if they went that direction. I wouldn't, no. honestly. I mean, what else is he now? No he's, Twink Bonds. We can't do Twink Bonds. Well, and I, I Although feel like, I mean, going younger, <laughs> I guess, but like most Bonds were at least 30s or, or in their 40s. Like, I don't think we've ever had a Bond in their 20s. Yeah, I don't think we need an Alex Ryder type Bond, though. We don't need a prequel where he's like a kid. Like, I think that would be the wrong direction. Um, Well, they had that cartoon series. Promiscuous teens. uh, There was that cartoon series, James Bond Jr. There was that, but does Justin, you're the only one who remembers. I know. I just, I also (laughs) remember the, uh, the, I don't know if it was a cartoon, but I know there was a couple of like uh, Super Nintendo games called James Pond. Which the games were in, but I love the pun, you know. I don't. It's it's tragic. (laughs) Okay, so back to Resident Evil. So this is an eight. That's what we were. This is an eight episode. We're talking about James Bond. We're getting sidetracked here, people. Let's focus. So Resident Evil. It's an eight episode series. Um, Ostensibly, it's to reboot the Resident Evil just as a series for Netflix. Um, it's produced by Constantine Films. They own the rights to Resident Evil. They also co-produce all of the six films. It was also developed by a, one Andrew Dabb, who primarily is a comic book writer, um, but he's also written for the Supernatural television show and is credited with writing the season 11 series ending finale. Um, so this is his baby. Um, and it, so strangely, the film, I think... Constantine Films is trying to keep it in the sort of Resident Evil canon. So they are introducing some characters we have been introduced to before, but a lot of this takes place um, in 2036. So well after um, the uh, sort of like uh, the the Raccoon incident, Raccoon City incident. Um, But it also cuts between 2036 and 2022, when we meet the Weskers, so there's Albert Wesker, the father, and then the two daughters, Jade Wesker, and um, now I'm blanking on Billy, Billy Wesker, the other um, sister. 
so it actually cuts between the two of them and a new outbreak of the T virus. And then what, you know, umbrella has been up to, um, there are, some of the actors probably are lesser known, but the lead is Ella Belinska. She was uh, probably known most for the Charlie's Angels uh, requel. It's a requel. Actually, it's an origin story if you want to be technical. Elizabeth Banks is uh, Charlie's Angels with Kirsten Stewart and Naomi Scott, which I'm going to pitch it. That, that's a great movie. Very female empowering, very fun, lots of action. Nobody gave it any due. Like, I think it was a huge bomb, but I can tell you it's one of my huge rewatches. I absolutely love that movie, Charlie's Angels. Um, Lance Reddick is in it. As we know, he's from Baltimore. He was in The Wire, most known for that, obviously. Lost the TV series Fringe. He's also been in the John Wick movies. He's the manager of the Continental. Um, Paolo Nunez, uh, she plays the head of Umbrella. Uh, she's a Mexican actress. She's produces produced like soap opera and television shows. Currently filming Mike Flanagan's House of Usher, which unfortunately had some bad press. Uh, that's the film that Frank Langella was fired uh, off of for alleged, alleged sexual misconduct. Um, and then she was in Bad Boys for Life. Um, so, so this particular series, I'm just, I'm just going to let you know. I really think this is just for Resident Evil fans because it, it's it, it, the focus is the relationship between these two sisters, but then they also add in extensions for the uni- for the Resident Evil universe. So the zombies are starting to evolve. The virus is evolving. There's even like large mutant like kaiju. Actually, um, I won't spoil how that actually fits into it. Um, but the first four episodes are kind of a slog, um, and and it has a maddening narrative. It cuts between like the young Jade and then the adult Jade, um, and it just cuts back and forth. And it's it's again, it's it's a it's a type of narrative that made me stop watching Arrow, uh, the 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 DC CW show because Sorry. they kept cutting back and forth like into the past on the, on the Island and then back. And it, it that's not my, there's a lot of this get to season nine of the flash and you'll experience at wait season eight of the flash. Sorry. Yeah. It's that kind of narrative. I I hate it. And it seems to be coming back in vogue now. Um, Bullet train actually is a good example of that, right? Mm -hmm. As the plot is streaming along, they take the side, the sidetrack and then give you the history of a character. Yeah. And we both um, agreed that while it works sometimes that's, that's a narrative that doesn't always click with us because it kind of takes you out of the moment. Yeah, absolutely. But I will say this for this show, it really takes off episode five to eight. Um, and it's at that point that they start to pull out some of their Trump cards. And I mean, it, the, the twist in, in episode five is pretty much a humdinger. And at that point, it was like, why have you been wasting our time with these other first four episodes? Um, the, the show has a very unique look. It's filmed in South Africa. Um, the, most of the directors for this are um, standouts in television, basically. They've directed stuff for like, you know, Game of Thrones, Better Call Saul. I mean, just really competent, good directors. Um, <clears throat> And unfortunately, they are also stealing from some better zombie movies. I mean, there are no new ideas, right? But, I mean, come on, stealing from 28 Days Later, Doom, World War Z, um, even John Wick at one point. 
Um, there's an actor in here. His name is Turlo Convery. He's actually a really, really good actor. People probably know him best as playing Bear from the show Killing Eve. He's also on Sanditon. But the first time he appeared, I was like, oh, Jack Black's in this. Because he kind of does look like, he does kind of look like Jack Black. And at some point, there's an action scene with him in it where it's like Jack, John Wick, Black. I mean, anyway, whatever. But um, Jack Black so, for James Bond. <laughs> okay, now That's now we're it. definitely right. going in the other direction. <laughs> I'm going back but, to my Henry Cavill image. Here you go. Oh, uh, so anyway, hey. for for me, what I would say is, as entertaining as episodes five to eight were, unfortunately, Netflix's Resident Evil. It's a skip it. Um, I would say it's really only for the hardcore Resident Evil fans to watch it. Um, and I would just say this: if there's definitely a second season catch up and binge it. I think that's how we're all really pretty much doing our streaming right. stuff, right? Uh, like if there's a second, I mean, I watch so much television that almost now I have to wait if there's a second season and then I'll go back and binge something. Makes sense. But, um, I will interject here. I did not watch the series, but I do know that the hardcore fan base is not a fan of it. So at this oh, point, is that what's who knows? Though to be fair, most hardcore fan bases don't like anything that's adapted from their properties. But from my understanding, yeah. Even they're not happy with it, so I don't really know who which, it's for then. <laughs> which, quite honestly, I don't understand because the series is very good at sort of like uh, picking up the DNA of the six films and some of the video games and then positing a bunch of images that call back to like Resident Evil Extinction, call back to like part two and then part five of the, of the, the movies. Well, I feel a lot of the hardcore fans, like some of them might, like some of the movies on a guilty pleasure, but for the most part, they weren't happy with the results and results because it was more action based as opposed to having the action slash horror survival bent to it. Yeah. So, and I, I think my this, understanding this too is, I think my understanding too is just the characterizations are not what people have come to like from the characterizations in the video games. So, but again, yeah. it's also fan bases are always going to be like that. It, it's almost don't target the hardcore fan base too much because they're probably not going to be pleased anyway. Mm, creative license people. They have to do it. Mm -hmm. You got to resell it. They got to resell it. So, all right. Uh, Landon, have you watched resident evil? Any no, thoughts no, on that? no, 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 no. <laughs> See, he's no, probably no. part of the hardcore fan base and he's like, no way. Have you no, played the I'm games? not. It's just, no, not yet. Um, no, I just hate everything they're doing. I mean, per week they're releasing a new show on it. Um, I swear, Welcome to Raccoon City came out at least a week ago, and now there's another one, so it's mm. confusing. Yeah, there right? wasn't much, and I don't think they, the show has any connection to the movie, but there wasn't much downtime, I'd say, between the release of the film and the movie, and I don't know if COVID played anything into that, but I wonder if it was just... Kind of like how we said last week with the Child's Play remake, but they still had the Chucky series to go with, the two separate yeah. canons. I wonder if this was just always the the plan. Well, hey, well, maybe see if we can get this new rebooted film franchise off the ground, but we're also going to do a show on Netflix and we'll have two, two different cano canonical, that's a better word to read than say, <laughs> two canonical franchises on our IPs going. That way, you know, Good put man. your hand in many... J cookie jars to get as much money as possible fingers in canonical pine 
pies. Sorry. <laughs> Canonical pine. All right. Canonical pies. Anyway. <laughs> that might, that should, Canonical pine maybe should be our band name. <laughs> well, I misspoke. I meant pie, but I Canonical prefer, sometimes pine. Misspo- it sounds better as pine. Sometimes a Phrygian oh, okay. slip okay. like pine is, is better. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that will bring us to our feature film, Prey. Now, since this is, I mean, I guess technically the fifth installment in just the Predator franchise, but technically the eighth film if you count the two AVP crossovers. Either way, since this is a very popular IP, I figured it would make sense to do a brief history of the Predator franchise and what got us to Prey, which is streaming exclusively on Hulu and I believe Disney Plus in international markets. So, Predator was a box office hit in 1987 that starred box office wonderkin Arnold Schwarzenegger. It was released on June 12th, 1987, and it had a worldwide gross of $98.3 million against a $15 million budget. Uh, that did greenlight a sequel, which finally came out in 1990, but that would only do $57.1 million worldwide against a $35 million budget and was appropriately covered on Not A Bomb Podcast for that reason. And I, that reason alone, in my opinion. Um, I think one of the things that hurt that release was they released it uh, November 21st, 1990, which was Thanksgiving, so I don't know... If, I mean, I could see why they thought it would be, you know, a big, th- you know, holiday release, but I, maybe I Happy guess. Happy Thanksgiving, yeah. mayhem and aliens. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy. But I think another reason, unfortunately, was probably not having Arnold Schwarzenegger back. That was the big selling point of the first movie. Um, so as but much props to Danny Glover. Props for changing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I will say this quick. Um. I'm, I'm kind of going to maybe backtrack on my thoughts on the series as a whole. I really enjoy Predator 2. I I think it's so much fun. Um, Props on the change of the setting and, mm-hmm. and giving us something not quite like the first. So exactly. I think that's admirable. Uh, yeah. And then for film, we did not see the Predator due to the box office disappointment slash bomb of Predator 2. The Predator wouldn't make an on-screen film appearance again until Alien vs. Predator in 2004, which was released in August 13th, 2004, and that grossed $177.4 million worldwide against a reported $60 million budget, so it turned enough of a profit for them to greenlight a sequel to that, which was Aliens vs. Predator Wequiem, which, honestly, I thought bombed more than it did. I think it was just more it bombed critically than it did financially or with the fan base, because it did do $130.3 million worldwide against a $40 million budget, but that is still... Even though I'm surprised they kept that budget lower, it is still a significant drop from the first. And if I am theorizing that Predator 2 didn't do well because of Thanksgiving, well, they released AVPR on Christmas Day 2007. Um, So yeah, I think that definitely played because I remember wanting to go see that in theaters and just getting tied up in the holiday holidays at the time and i think by the time january strolled around i was like i'm gonna go see it i don't recall it still being in theaters which is why i was surprised it seemed to do decently but merry christmas <laughs> aliens and mayhem you know it's uh, what if <laughs> you know it's just like your dysfunctional family fighting all all day long and then yes. the, they would still bring the predator back to big screen because this ip did have legs and that would be predators in 2010 released on july 9th uh, grossed $127.2 million worldwide against a $40 million budget. So just a little bit lower than AVPR. Again, I mean, it technically met its budget. I don't know what the marketing was. 
probably turn enough of a profit, but certainly a disappointment. They tried one more time uh, in 2018 with Shane Black's The Predator, which again, I'm going to tip my hand here. Very dumb movie, but very fun. And that was released on September 14th, 2018. And that actually did do $160.5 million worldwide, but it had the biggest budget of any Predator movie to date with a reported $88 million budget in a very bad critical and fan response, which brings us to Prey. However... Where the IP is very successful and why AVP really took off is in comic book form and video game form. So pretty much almost immediately after the launch of the first Predator film in 1987, Dark Horse Comics, which had already had the license for it to do aliens in comic book form, did get the license and started in 1989 doing their own Predator runs. In 1990, the same year that Predator 2 would come out, they would do a crossover Alien vs. Predator, which they would do a bunch of times. They would also have the Predator crossover with other comic book characters, such as Batman. He did it thrice, once in 1991, 1993, and in 1997. Uh, Tarzan vs. the Predator, 1996. Predator vs. Judge Dredd in 1997. Ooh. Superman vs. Predator in 2000. Justice League of America vs. Predator in 2001. Archie versus the Predator in both 2015 no. and then in 2019. They did that a lot with Archie. They even did a Punisher crossover that was really well done, actually. Uh, but the ones in 2015 and 2019 really played into the gore as opposed to where the Punisher was trying to clean up the Punisher in Riverdale. This time, I think some of the original creators who were very protective of Archie either loosened up or, if my opinion, probably uh, no longer were with the Archie Productions. So Archie versus Predator, both installments are very gory and very fun. Uh, they would also cross over with a couple of other Dark Horse characters such as Magnus, the Robot Fighter in 1992, X in 1995, Ghost in 1995, Agents of Law in 1995, and one more in 1995 being Motorhead, which is not, unfortunately, a comic based on the metal band fronted by Lemmy Kilmeister. I would have loved to have read that, but Lemmy and Motorhead were more tied to Hellraiser, if you remember their cover of Hellraiser for Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, and the amazing music video that went with it. So that probably would have been a conflict of interest. And there was one more comic uh, outside of some of these one-offs that I'd never heard of until I was doing a brief history here. And I'm just going to read the plot synopsis. So there is a comic company in 1992 called Eclipse Comics, and they did a couple of parody one-off issues, or one-shots as they're called in the comic world. And they did one in 1992 called Illegal Aliens, and this is off of MyComicShop.com, the synopsis. Earth's mightiest monsters are sick and tired of playing second fiddles to a bunch of Johnny-come-lately alien monsters. Not only are these aliens invading our humble planet, they're doing so illegally, and they're taking jobs away from the old guys who've put in years threatening us puny, mortal Earthlings. See the Frankenstein monster, Dracula, the creature from the Black Lagoon, and Godzilla lead a patriotic troop of earthly monsters in an all-out battle for the Earth. When a weaselly little illegal alien horns in on the horror action, everyone gets into the act... It's monster mania. So it's basically those classic monsters taking on the alien and the predator. I need to hunt this thing down because this sounds bonkers in the best way possible. Though I'm afraid it is, it's going to be it is too <laughs> terribly cheesy and not funny. <laughs> it is too bad this is not being video recorded because, listeners, I am making a face like somebody has farted on my best suit. <laughs> 
I cannot with that description. It's, it's too it's much. Astounding, and I need to. Hunt How do they communicate with Godzilla? How did, I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, maybe uh, just like in Kong versus Godzilla, where Kong could do sign language, maybe Godzilla learned sign language. Godzilla has a big presence uh, in the comic book world, especially in IDW. There's some really good runs there. Um, By the way, if Dark Horse is is listening to this, Dark Horse, I think the one Predator crossover you missed that we need is Predator versus Barbed Wire. <laughs> Where is my predator yes. versus barbed wire? Now, unfortunately, and that actually is a perfect segue and you didn't try it. My next con- uh, content was going to be that Dark Horse lost the rights when Disney bought out 20th Century Fox. So Marvel Comics now oh, has the rights. Um, they are working on doing their own version of the character in the comics, but it's up in the air right now. The last thing that Dark Horse was doing, which was a... So they did a comic book form on the original screenplay to Predator, which did somewhat get canceled. I think they had the first issue out. My understanding is they eventually did get to finish it in like a trade paperback. But it kind of screwed up how they were going to do that. And then the only other thing... Oh, no, go ahead. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Dark Horse is Mike Richardson's outfit, yeah? Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, Because I think he's also extended into producing some things that may even just be original... Um, and not necessarily an offshoot of comics from uh, from Dark Horse, but he's been in the game for some time. Yes, Dark Horse was... Yeah. I was a big fan of Dark Horse in the 90s, and I did read some of the Predator and Alien comics in the 90s, but not as many as I... I've read a couple of them more recently. Now, I did yeah. play some of the video games, and that was the other area where the Predator and, to an extent, the Alien franchise was also very lucrative. You had adaptations of the first two films on systems such as Nintendo, Sega... Uh, if my memory serves correct, Predator 2 is on both the Sega Master System and Genesis, but they're actually kind of different games. It's not just like a animation 18 to 16-bit upgrade for the Genesis version. Commodore 64, the ZX Spectrum, Atari ST, Amiga, Amstrad CPC, and then there's just a whole slew of video game exclusives for both the Predator and Alien vs. Predator IPs for systems such as PlayStation 2, PlayStation 4, Xbox, Xbox 360, a lot of uh, computer games, and then around especially AVPR had a ton of just mobile games, which can't imagine they were that good, especially in the 2000s. Uh, There's Mm. even some VR games, and one that I'm actually really fond of, so... This is on systems such as the Switch and PS4 and probably Xbox as well. But Zen Pinball does like electronic pinball games that you can play on your systems. But they do their own little tables as opposed to not just recreating classic pinball machines. And they did three sets of like alien pinball sets. One was based on Aliens, one based on the video game Alien Isolation, as well as one based on Alien vs. Predator. And that's actually a really fun virtual pinball machine. And there was planned to be an actual Predator pinball machine in 2013 by a company called Skit B, uh, but it was just canceled due to a lot of like licensing and financial issues that Skit B had. There were only three prototypes that were made, so it never officially got its release. It does occasionally pop up at pinball conventions, so when I'm sometimes looking at the pinball channels that I follow on either Instagram or YouTube, because I do love me some pinball, I'll get jealous if I see, like, maybe in Vegas or something when they're having a convention, they actually get the prototype for the Predator pinball machine. Um, That would have been based mainly, I think, on the first film, but I think probably threw in some stuff. 
And on top of that, there was also a ton of books, novelizations, and trading cards uh, specifically for AVP. I think they even had an actual card game that you could have with Alien vs. Predator. So, very lucrative IP, even if sometimes getting it to the success, at least culturally, maybe as much as financially that the first film had, um, has sometimes been a struggle. And that does bring us to Prey, which is the first one not to go to a theater. It's uh, this is also the first one coming out after the Disney 20th Century Fox merger. So instead of putting it in the theater, they have decided to put it on Hulu and, as I said, Disney+. Plus. Before we get into that proper, though, I figured we do have three different age groups here. I'm not going to reveal any of our ages, but we all have varying decades of when we were born. So I thought it would be kind of interesting, since this is a long-standing franchise, to see where our relations ships with the characters came from, how we got to know it, why, you know, we're all invested in talking about the characters still today. And I figured we can go oldest to youngest, so I hate to call you out here, Jose, but you would be the oldest. Oh. Sorry. Oh. Uh, but, you know, you are aging like a fine wine, so I'm going to shoot it over to you. Stabbed in the heart. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, first of all, excellent, excellent recitation of of just not only, you know, the the franchise and the films, of which I'm most familiar, but also just the offshoots, the comic books, the video games, all of that. I mean, I dare say that, I dare say that um, Alien versus Predator probably started the whole mashup kind of thing, right? Comic book um, just wise, because I believe so. I mean, there would always been talks. I mean, you could argue if you go back to Dracula versus Frankenstein and some of those crossovers. But well, yes, but I meant modern yes, modern. There was right? talks of doing Freddy versus Jason, I think about mid to late eighties, but I know that's probably around the time that the AVP license was getting kicked around, was about to drop at Dark Horse. And that's yeah. definitely being in very successful comic books and video games. Um, I remember playing the Alien vs. Predator video game on Super Nintendo when I was a kid. So that alone, I think, definitely helped finally convince New Line somewhat to keep going with this idea of a Freddy vs. Jason. Um, and I know for a fact, like, Alien vs. Predator is an actual film adaptation was being talked about very shortly after those comics dropped in the early to mid-90s. There was, I remember, because AVP came out a year after Freddy vs. Jason, right in that same August time slot. And, yeah. you know, some people not in the know, especially, like, film critics were just like, well, because Freddy vs. Jason got made, they had to make this clone. And I'm like, listen, AVP yeah, has been around it. as an idea for right. a while. And all arguably probably was going to and should have happened before Friday versus Jason. But, but there's even been like, you know, Ash versus, you know, Jason Ash mm -hmm. versus, you know, all these other things. There so was, there's uh, this two whole runs sort of, like, of Freddy versus Jason versus Ash that they did comic book wise. Cause that was yeah. originally when they were thinking of doing a second Freddy versus Jason film that was floated around. I don't know how actual, serious those negotiations got but they had thought of bringing ash so i was it idw i can't remember maybe it was just new lines it was probably just new line's own comic book line because they had i remember in 2003 they had jason x they had a couple of nightmare on elm street comics uh texas chainsaw was getting a lot of comics so i believe they also did their own run and there was two different runs the first run for Fray vs. jason versus ash was really fun the second one i just kind of remember being eh but yeah but definitely well i mean 
So like crossover mania, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there were planned, there was a planned crossover for Resident Evil and Underworld that just never happened. It got stuck in development hell, it never happened. But I would say that AVP kind of did start all of that. But yeah, I, I saw Predator as a kid directed by John McTee- McTiernan, McTee. Uh, we talked about him with the Thomas Crown Affair. Um, arguably, um, you know, the Predator which was produced by Lawrence Gordon, by the way, who also produced Prey. Um, he, Lawrence Gordon's a prolific, prolific producer. I mean, we're talking The Warriors, the Die Hard movies, Boogie Nights, Field of Dreams, um, all of that. But I feel like Lawrence Gordon really had an eye, especially picking McTee to direct that. And Predator is one of those seminal like 80s action movies, right? It's so memorable. If it bleeds, we kill it and all that stuff. And, and it just was really, it was great. It was like, you know, 10 little Indians in, in like the jungle with, a, with an alien. And so um, <clears throat> Predator 2 took a while to come out. Um, but I liked it for what it was. I mean, I thought it was kind of a, a mess. I like the fact that they had gone in a different direction. It was an urban setting, the urban jungle. <laughs> it, it, um, it feels like a Walter Hill film, doesn't it? I always feel like that. It kind does. of feels like I'm surprised he didn't direct it. And I mean that in the best compliment it, that it's it a does. Walter Hill and film. you know, I mean, listen, Lawrence Gordon has produced some Walter Hill films <laughs> like the warriors and, and, and some of that. So I think he was definitely going for that gritty feel. Um, Stephen Hopkins directed that he's an Australian great eye. Um, unfortunately Hopkins doesn't do many movies now, but, um, it, mainly TV, uh, alien versus predator that was directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, who also, you know, the resident evil films, which we just talked about as well. I didn't think that that film was entirely successful. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it's, it started out as a great thriller and then it just got like so over the top and ridiculous. Um, great cast though. I mean, I absolutely love the, um, Sana Lathan was in it. Um, this gorgeous man who I'm now drawing a blank on, but like Lance he's one of the reasons why I went to see it. Ra- no, Raul Bova. <laughs> You're telling Ral me Lance Bova Hendrickson is, is not a handsome man. He is a, he okay. is a handsome man indeed. Right. Um, AVP Requiem, which I did go and see in the theater, which I loved. I mean, it's like a, like a, it's like a fast food cheeseburger. It's great. That movie. I mean, a kid gets killed in the first like five minutes. So I'm on board. If you kill a child, I'm on board with your movie. That was directed by. <laughs> Thank the you for specifying with the movie. Support children. I was uh, about this. You and my Jose mind went the exact same murder. spot, Landon. Exact same Jose spot. Supports child murder. That might cut back. Okay, to the black I may phone. be. Uh, I may be. I may be on. I may say I'm on board, but I do not condone the killing of children. Yeah, woo, okay. let's go child murder. <laughs> Again, uh, the producers at Watch Get Plus do not condone uh, or represent yeah, or, or, what is spoken child from murder. the actual. <laughs> but come, but come on, no, it's such a tab. Killing children is such a taboo <laughs> that when it does show up in a movie, I mean. It's a little crazy. The yeah, I know omen, what you mean. It's right? especially yeah. in a Hollywood type film. It's yeah. you know, if you're looking at maybe Italian Jallos or exploitation films, even maybe some American it exploitation. All the time. It happens, but yes, when you're seeing it in a big budget released on Christmas Day, even uh, yeah, Merry Christmas, Dead Kids, <laughs> Aliens, and Mayhem. Uh, but um, I mean that's the that's the biggest thing about the Omen was that by the end of the movie, you're rooting for the dad to kill this kid, like kill that kid. And that is not someplace, you know, people want to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be sure child. some movie, and to be sure yeah, some movies children. have suffered 
because they killed a child and people were like, we can't watch this. Um, but anyway, and then um, Predators with directed by Robert Rodriguez. I thought that was amazing. I mean, you want to talk about like 10 Little Indians. This was like Murder on the Orient Express, but with a more kinetic feel to it. I think the only drawback in that movie is Lawrence Fishburne. But the more I watch it, he is so out there. He appears to be acting in a completely different film, but he really does make the movie, and it's sort of like Gonzo premise. Um, Shane Black and The Predator, I was absolutely looking forward to it. I loved it. I don't know what people have problems with with it, but I will say this. Um, it's a Shane Black movie that just happens to involve The Predator, mm-hmm. right? So if you're a fan of any of Shane Black's movies, uh, Long Kiss Goodnight, um, uh, Last Boy Scout. Last Boy Scout. Uh, Kiss Me, Kill Me. Uh, kiss, the kiss, one bang, with bang. Robert Downey. Yeah, because that's it. Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang with Robert Downey Jr. Um, yeah, if you're a fan of his movies, I mean, this is basically a Predator, a Shane Black movie that just happened to feature the Predator. And I think um, that is probably why it got a mixed reception. I had a lot of fun with it, like I mentioned earlier. Um, yeah. I also know a lot of people just thought the whole autism stuff and that's why they were coming was kind of dumb. And look, I'm not going to deny that that movie was dumb, but it was gleefully dumb. It embraced its cheesy grindhouse feel. And like I said, it's a Shane Black movie. I get why people don't maybe like it, but oh, I had so much fun watching it. I mean, listen, I'm not going to lie. It, it feels it feels like a dark horse graphic novel. It feels mm-hmm. like a comic book, very much like a comic book, right? I mean, there are punchlines. There are weird things that happen, and they expanded the universe on kind of a grander scale and and brought the Predator you know, back to Earth or whatever. I, I loved all of it. It's it's a repeat watch for me. It's very entertaining. Yeah, it's a fun And the one. cast is brilliant. The cast is absolutely brilliant. Um, so I was really, really looking forward to this one. Um, yeah. Landon, how about you? Uh, what uh, Before we get to Landon, oh. if we're going age groups. Oh, we're going age-wise. Uh, we should maybe go with me. Sorry, That's Landon. Fine. Not that I'm trying to it's, cut you off my fine. own it's show. Fine. It's fine. It's fine. But I, I think Sorry. if we're going to go from oldest to youngest... I would be the, you know, I'm no longer the youngest. Yeah. That's why I'm really doing this. Is I for listeners, look, in our group <laughs> for the longest time I have been the baby. I've been the child. You have been the baby. So, yes. Great. Having um, somebody, you know, having to be that. Sorry, Landon. Does make me feel mm. a little bit nice. But I am going to make you all still feel old because I was not born when the first two Predator movies came out. Can make you feel a little bit better. I know Jose's giving that look. <laughs> I was born in August of 1991, so rough, closer to eight months and maybe a week. I was. Oh sorry, my god! I was, I was in junior and high school. I was Jesus supposed god. to be born at the end of July, the last week of July. So technically, I should have been born eight months after Predator Two. So would have missed its theatrical but I'm going to rewrite my history and say it was showing on video uh, in the waiting room when I was being born. So I kind of came into the world because of Predator 2. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Even though I did not get to Predator 2 till much later, but... uh, You came came out of the womb, you saw it on the television, and you said... (laughs) I'm too old for this shit. shit and I just uh, <laughs> uh, I love it. This is uh, I'm telling my parents this is how it happened. I don't care how yes. you know my actual <laughs> birth went. So I might not have seen those two obviously in the theater when it first came out, but even though I was a child of the '90s, I had a lot of '80s leftovers because I. So I have two half sisters, but I also both sides of my parents' family. They came from families of like 
quite a few children. So I have a lot of cousins and quite a few of my cousins are, you know, were children of the eighties or somewhat older than me. So there was a lot of stuff that from the eighties that they might've outgrown he man, pretty much any popular IP transformers, GI Joe that kind of came my way. And even though predator is an R rated film in the eighties and nineties, we didn't care as much. I always joke. And this is true. I saw RoboCop when I was five. I watched it with my parents <laughs> who did not care that a man got his you know, channels blown off and all this gore and nonsense. Um, again, though, it's a, it's America. You, we don't care about violence really as much, but you know, nudity and language is a little bit more taboo. Um, so I did get to Predator pretty quickly because, as a child of the '90s, Arnold Schwarzenegger was king. Uh, Terminator Two was one of my favorites as a child. I also loved Commando when I went back to some of his '80s output. I've also mm. always been a big fan of Last Action Hero because I was the right age when that came out. So Predator was another one that I think also helped because my dad is into horror movies and kind of action titles. So that was one of the yeah. few films that I don't know if we owned or that he owned personally, but I know he had seen. So that kind of helped that transition as well. So I had seen the first Predator and really enjoyed it as a kid. And I did get into some of the comic books from Dark Horse as well as playing some of those video games. Surprisingly, I never saw Predator 2 until I would say probably 2004 because I did go and see Alien vs. Predator with friends in the theater. And mm. I remember the controversy at that time was since it was going PG-13 for box office. Um and while it was cool as teenagers to be go, able to go see, I mean, we were, but I've been yeah, 13. I would have been third. would have just turned 13. So I believe um, it was great that we could go unattended, but yeah. my dad took us to see Freddy vs. Jason the year prior. You know, he was taking me to see horror movies and my friends seeing these. It's not like if it was R rated, we wouldn't have gotten to see it. And honestly, I have a feeling if we went, if it was R-rated and went to see it, I don't think that theater would have cared. They just wanted money. I really, really yeah. highly doubt unless management, like higher-ups were there, or they were hiring somebody new. That's the only time even, I've never really ever been carded. So I remember kind of liking it as a teen, but we were a little miffed that it wasn't, especially when you're a teenager, you want it to be more hard R. I think what works in that movie's favor is since a lot of the violence is against the aliens who are the villains in that kind of setup, since they have green blood, just kind of like, or blackish blood, just like the Predator does, MPA doesn't really seem to care as much as if it's cartoonish violence or if the blood isn't actual blood. So they were able to get away. I think that was even in the rating. Like, oh, there's a lot of, like, viscous liquid or something. Um, yeah. But it never quite came together. And as I mentioned earlier, I did want to see Requiem when it came out in theaters. It's just, I think that Christmas release date just kind of prevented me from seeing it. And I do not recall it still being in the theater by January. So I settled for DVD and I have been curious to rewatch it. Cause my feelings have always been, it seems like a really fun grindhouse movie that I want from aliens versus predator. But, and I know you're probably going to cringe at this one, Jose, cause it's the stereotypical criticism for it. It's too dark. It's, it's, the lighting in that film is so, and it's probably why it was 40 million instead of 60 million. Like the others, they saved 20 million on lighting rigs. It It's too dark. And I know that was probably to hide maybe some of the lesser effects, but it kind of killed my enjoyment for it. But it's one I've always kind of wanted to go back to. Cause I do think it had that feel of the dark horse comics to a degree. Um, and yeah, it does. Like you said, it kills a kid right away, which is rare for a Hollywood big budget movie, especially coming out on Christmas day. 
I did see Predators when it came out and liked it. I don't think it's online anymore, but I know I still have it. I was writing reviews because I would have been a year out of high school at that point. Again, to make you feel old. <laughs> so I did not go to college right away. Landed, go to college right away. That's what another okay. reason. <laughs> Landed, go to college. Go to okay. well, go to trade school at least. That's uh, It took me a little while, but that's originally what I went to. But I did not. So I was just doing the working third shift, and then I was doing a lot of like writing for freelance writing for websites before I started kind of doing my own thing. So I know there's a review of Predators out there, which I remember liking that it went back to the jungle and had some of the feel of the first movie. The cast was iffy for me. I mean, on their own, I think a great cast. I just, I did not feel Adrian Brody in that role. I don't feel he took to it. And I think that kind of hurt it. Um, I do remember, I always forget Lawrence Fishburne's in that, like you said, because it does feel like he's in a different movie, even though I love me some Fishburne. But it is a fun one. It's it, Robert Rodriguez. They definitely went back to the R rating. I saw it with, even though I saw it because I was working third shift at like 12 on a Friday opening, it ended up being pretty packed for like, yeah, which was nice. So that was a fun experience. And then I did go see The Predator when it was in theaters. And again, that one I saw prime Friday night opening night at like 7 p.m. And it was just me and two other people. So I'm actually kind of surprised it did even decently box office wise because going off of my screening, nobody showed up to it. Um, yeah. And like I said earlier, dumb. Yes, but man, is that one so much fun. Like, I would not it have been is. opposed to more Shane Black Predator movies. So that's kind of where my relationship is. Definitely new Predator more as it already being kind of an iconic film by the time I would have gotten to it in the mid-90s. So, and now yeah. we can go to the youngest but, <laughs> and definitely brightest. See, I'm going to, I'm going to. Oh, okay. Hold on. Give me a second. Um, <laughs> back to darkest. Um, Okay. Here we go. Uh, okay, so I've always known of Predator, but I haven't seen any other than Prey. Interesting. Oh, okay, okay. 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 But I basically know everything about him already. Um. So is that going from into, is that from video games or comic books? A bit, yes, and then a bit of just me researching everything. Um, <laughs> Has your father played any of the into this either? No, he just, wait, what do you mean? Sorry. Meaning like, no. has he ever talked about the films? Like, cause he is a big genre fan. Oh no. Um, he hasn't really brought up anything, but, um, anyways, so coming into prey, it's probably almost better that I started with prey. Cause it's a prequel to all of them. Mm-hmm. So really I could start with the prequel and then watch them in whatever order now. Um, no spoilers forgot um i can say um i can just say this i guess the whatever the dog uh oh no that's what i was gonna sorry sorry um i watched it in the comanche dubbed version oh okay so uh if you bring up any of the dialogue they said in english i probably won't remember and it's interesting that you bring that up because I had watched the English version, but last mm-hmm. night after work, or sorry, right before work, um, I did watch the Comanche dub to see uh-huh. how the differences would yeah. feel. So that'll be something interesting to talk about. Yeah. Um, and uh, whoever played Tabe, 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 I don't know. 
I feel like he did great because it was his first role. Like, yeah, ever. that's I, I had ever. that note down here that as the first yeah. any project that he's ever done, and that's yeah, he does really well, especially great. knowing that and then revisiting the film yesterday. Uh, mm-hmm. I can, I was blown away at how comfortable he felt in that role. I really didn't think it was his first. No, that's but. I still think there might be a hiccup, and maybe he did get yeah. a couple of TV, but no, it's no. I feel like it was. Whoever was the cinematographer of it, like he shot the absolute. Can't say that, but you know what I mean. I mean, you, Out yeah, we, you know, yeah. let's not get in trouble with your father. We won't make you yeah. say it. <laughs> he will now. listen to this episode. Um, but he shot like the most he could out of it. Yes. Uh, that would be Jeff Cutter. I did uh, did take okay. some notes. Yes. So he had done most notably, I would say he did ten. He shot Ten Cloverfield Lane, which was also directed by Dan Trachtenberg, who wrote and directed this film. Uh, he also did Orphan, which is something that we were talking mm-hmm. about yep. uh, off yep. air as well, because mm-hmm. the sequel or yep. prequel to that, another prequel just dropped. Yeah, he did. He also did a couple of episodes of The Boys, which uh, or sorry, just one episode that. Dan Trachtenberg also directed. It's the pilot. Oh, it's the pilot actually. Okay. Yeah. So I did not know. I thought it was a little bit later into the first season that he did that. Not the pilot. No, Trachtenberg has become somewhat of a, of a David Nutter, David Nutter being the famed um, pilot director, um, Canadian pilot director of a lot of television shows, the X-Files, Smallville, Um, just Google David Nutter. He's, not only is it a great last name, but it's amazing. Um, he's amazing. So he directed the pilots for uh, The Boys um, the, and The Lost Symbol. Um, and, and you say, he is the director of the upcoming pilot for the Waterworld television show. I had that which note, is, uh, which I'm very, curious very about. curious. Yes. He also I'm did a uh, Black Mirror episode playtest. Yes. And he is the cinematographer for, I'm going to get killed for this, but. The not-so-bad remake of Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes, Cutter is. I have that down here. Um, if we are going to call it... Did you say not-so-bad? It is. Was it that bad? It was not. So it was my, that bad. My feelings on that remake have always been there are elements that I like. I actually like Jackie O'Haley's Freddy. I think he's very creepy and still is able to... Mm. God bless. Yes. Somewhat use Very some creepy. of that creepy humor, like, oh, I was just petting him when he, he you know, you see the dog being mutilated. And I like the yeah. inclusion of micro naps. I wasn't particularly the biggest fan of the glossy kind of horror look, but it was also what it was at the time. That's not a cutter issue. That's just how all those remakes looked. Um, and where I my felt- issue with that. My issue with that movie is that it takes itself too literally towards the end. Yes, it takes itself too literally. And then near that finale, it starts to do what it was trying to somewhat avoid and just starts recreating sequences from the classic films. And then it does make Freddy more into the jokester that in some of the lines that he's lifting from prior films didn't really work in the context that they were in the remake. So it kind of just felt like, producers or like the studio got cold feet after you know maybe seeing this darker version that they were going with i also don't like rooney mara in that film i have since liked her in other movies but in that one i just didn't think and it and i really liked her and you know i gotta tell you the um uh it was co-written by wesley strick who's one of my favorite screenwriters he screen wrote like wolf and the the cape fear remake um but one of the fun things about that movie is is 
they almost really do get you on the whole is does Freddie exist or is this some sort of mass psychosis or is somebody else doing something mm -hmm. to them? Um, there's almost that, that sort of like second guessing. And I, I wish that they had sort of like maybe played up that angle a little bit more, but they definitely went. Or even literally. just the micro naps. Like I think that and the micro naps got introduced and you're like, okay, I'm liking this. But then I felt like yeah. everything just fell by the wayside to have that very stereotypical, finale that is really just a regurgitation of a lot of the series's trademarks so yeah i don't well, we hate digress. that i don't hate that remake <laughs> but yeah and then one other thing i want to bring up about jeff cutter um <laughs> well so all of these movies i mean he also did gridiron gang but again even something like gridiron gang a little bit more grittier kind of movies he also was a cinematographer on Office Christmas Party, which is such a stark contrast to everything else he's basically shot. Though I will yeah. say, I remember seeing that, and it's an okay enough uh, R-rated raunchy comedy. I do kind of remember thinking it looked pretty nice like for a movie that you would think a lot of times cinematography ends up being kind of an afterthought with. It yeah. It's fine. So. Actually, I have another thing for Jeff Cutter <laughs> mm -hmm. that makes him very famous. He was the cinematographer for Mark Romanek's unseen pilot for Lock and Key. Lock oh. and Key is now a, a big series on Netflix. But, and this has been this has been talked about at conventions for years, and they've tried to get it screened, but they've never been successful. But he directed the the pilot for Lock and Key, and it starred Mark Pellegrino. I don't, you probably know him as the devil from Supernatural. He's a big character actor. Um, but Mark Pellegrino was in it. Miranda Otto, she's the Australian actress from The Lord of the Rings. Sarah Bolger, pop star Jesse McCartney. Like they were in the cast and apparently this was, this was a damn good pilot and it just never got picked up. Um, but obviously now lock and key is, it's a big thing. It's a great show on Netflix. Um, but again, he was the DP of this, this sort of infamous pilot that has never aired. Interesting. Yeah. Um, are we segueing into yeah, I think we're kind of segueing into the I think we already okay. did which I think yeah and I think it is interesting Landon that you said this is the first Predator movie you've seen because this actually is a good way to like mm. introduce people to this franchise it's if you yeah. have not seen anything even if you're not aware it's a very easy we're dropping the Predator into this uh, into was it seventeen nineteen Great Plains seventeen yeah. nineteen yeah yeah north where we had this Comanche tribe where uh -huh. you're kind of getting this good feel uh, to go with Jeff Cutter he does a really great job of shooting a lot of the the these woods and kind of jungleish areas forest more yeah. uh, the first shot in the film is just a gorgeous shot of the the river exactly yes uh, and because I'm playing Red Dead Redemption two right now it kind of even made me feel like some of that same time frame even though a couple hundred years away. Um, but I do think this is a really smart way of introducing people. And I also think it's interesting, Landon, that you had mentioned that even though you haven't seen the other ones, you kind of, you're familiar enough with the character and probably knowing about it that you somewhat feel like you've seen it already. Cause there are, and I can only speak for myself here. I don't know if you feel this way, Jose, but there are certain like movies, uh, the magnificent seven, uh, being one of them that uh, I finally watched for the first time years ago. It's just one that I've always been familiar with because of being lauded so much discussed in a lot of documentaries and books that I read that while it's still was a first time watch like i had seen a lot of these clips in that and knew the story and knew the characters and all that so i 
I feel like the predator is kind of like that with a lot of people, especially, you know, younger folks and new generations of people that just never got around to any of the films just because it's such a unique looking character and it's so simple in its execution. Yeah, it's a genre, it's kind of a genre staple. I mean, you know, everybody talks about the predator. It's a classic movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, but you know, I think that we can liken this to sort of <laughs> Um, and I know this is this is probably a bad example because it just it kind of makes me cringe. But murdering children. Um, <laughs> What's that? <laughs> murdering children. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, Although we do not condone murdering. Oh, children. it was like I did not like that. Um, all those segue for a second there. <laughs> um, no, it's it's sort of like introducing the new generation to Star Wars episode one, two, and three, and then segueing them to seeing the originally, re- uh, you know, uh, released uh, four five, and then six. So in, in a way um, you're on the ground floor, you're on a ground floor and it, it's just going to get better if you explore the other movies. Yeah. So. And I feel like this series will benefit better from that because there's still the argument with seeing instead of like the chronological release of the Star Wars films, because then I, I'm, I'm, spoiler alert, I guess, on Empire Strikes Back. Uh, Darth, oh, oh, <laughs> Darth, okay. Darth Vader, folks, is Luke Skywalker. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. Oh, you've ruined it for an entire new generation. Uh, My so God. So there is that argument that that's already going to be spoiled. Like, if you somehow didn't know, like, if you watch episodes one through three, like, like yeah, <laughs> it has to build towards that. You're not really going to get that with Prey. Um, because the Predator, even though it's a very iconic character, there's it's a very blank slate of a character, and it needs to be. I don't think. I mean, I would love to see maybe a version where we actually go to their home planet, and it turns out that the what we're seeing of these Predator species are just the hunters, but there's accountants and you know, you know, nerds that are obsessed with whatever's okay. up there. I would so like to actually see inter- that. <laughs> here's where I must interject. They did some of that in the Predator, and what happened? True. Yeah, that's true. The fanboys like- hated it. They were like, mm. eh, Shane Black doesn't know what he's doing. They actually did that. We yeah. got. To yeah, learn a little bit about predator culture. Yeah. Anyway, so I guess if we're going to get into opinions, let's start. We're going to do our spoiler free. So, Landon, do you want to start with a spoiler free? Oh, spoiler uh, free. Okay. Spoiler free <laughs> thoughts on on prey. All right. <laughs> Overall, okay. For predator movies, I'd say. Many people are comparing it as number one being Predator and number two being Prey. Like, right here, right here. Which I can see why, because going into that franchise not knowing, like, no, I knew everything is what I meant to say, but not seeing anything, uh, I didn't really know what to expect. I just expected another horror sequel that was going to be awful, Halloween Kills. Um, But... Overall, you got a beautifully shot movie that was. It has a lot of impact on it for some people. I can see how. And by the way, that dog, the dog acting in it is insane. Um, I'm not going to say anything about. I gotta wait till spoiler zone, but um, overall, it's a great 
do do I have to do the watch or skip there? No, not yet. We can do that. Okay, not I'll, yet, I will yeah. wait. Well, um, it's overall just great in general. Yeah. What did you What did you think about the the story and the and the setting? The fact that yeah, it's I love 1719 the and yeah, I love the setting. Uh-huh. The story was also great. It, I feel like it. The whole movie was really just who's gonna be the chief of the hunting chief i guess you could say i don't know it that's basically the whole story i'd say yeah yeah i kind of liked how just interject i liked that aspect with like the comanches because it kind of parallels what we kind of know the predators being hunters so it having it be more blunt with having the comanches be as their own kind of tribe and then warring with the french trappers uh, and stuff like that, and people around them. I think that was a, a smart way of introducing these characters, but still making it complement the Predator, which might be another reason I think people weren't too fond of the Predator. But it's getting back to gra- uh, grassroots, basically. And Landon, how did you feel about this? Um, you know, we think about the Predator, we think about aliens and action. Mm, how did yes. you feel about the fact that our main character was a girl? What did you think about that? I thought it was great. I thought it worked very well with the story that it was. Um, good thing for Jose, there was no children. Um, <laughs> besides that boy. I, you know, maybe that's it. Nah, no, nah, I'm not going to make that joke. Never mind. <laughs> no, you make the joke. Uh, please refrain. Uh, no. no, I'm refraining. It's a very <laughs> It's fine. Uh, um it definitely worked well with the story because at the same time it's 1719. So really what rights were in the world in the moment? Yeah. I mean, slavery, you know, list goes on, but it definitely worked well with the story and what they were trying to, I guess, send the message to people. Yeah. One is don't look up at trees, and then the other is <laughs> right. So that's basically yeah. it. I've been living my whole life not looking up at trees, so I'm glad <laughs> I, I have a movie that is now confirming my... Do not look up at trees, please. Well, I'm Filipino, and you know my culture, we used to hide in trees and use yo-yos to knock people out. So oh, okay. look it up. It's true, people. <laughs> I, I did climb a tree once to get on top of my shed, but I am... I am dangerously uncoordinated, even when it's I was young. Time I so it never, it. it never worked out well. Were the people you knocked out children? <laughs> no. That's the last time I'll say it. That's the last time I'll bring it I up. mean, if he was a child. And dogs. Then, children yeah. and dogs. That's what who yeah, you knock out. Yeah, you hate dogs. Doing. Everything about them. <laughs> uh, well, since Justin did the intro, I'll go next. Mm-hmm. Um, so my spoiler-free sort of uh, comments on this movie are... This is how you relaunch a franchise. And not only that, not only is it just such, not only is it wonderful to see something so well-written, well-produced with great action, um, sort of revisiting and rebooting this franchise, not only is that great, but to see it with a female lead um, really just makes it, all-inclusive and exciting. In fact, actually, if you look at the main credits, a lot of the main personnel, um, Mm -hmm. Dan Trachtenberg, this is a tribute to you, a lot of the main personnel, in fact, are female. So we have 
a female music composer, a female production designer. We have two female editors. Um, yeah. So the list goes on. And so it's very like female centered, empowering. It's, it's wonderful. I don't know why they didn't release this. And quite honestly, I am all for if we're going to do re-releases. I mean, Morbius got a re-release, right? Yeah. Nothing. Sorry. But if we're going to if we're going to go and re-release this, you know, with Jeff Cutter, we're we're already talking about the fact that his cinematography is so wonderful. Expansive use of the whole 235 format. Um, he does some beautiful framing. Um in the beginning when she sort of like steps out of the tent and that, you know, you've got the front of the, the tent sort of like draped down as she walks out into this world. It's very experiential. Everything has been set. The photography basically from her vantage point in some ways. And then you've got the trees and, you know, lining that up as kind of like frames. It's just absolute beautiful cinematography that, that should be seen. It's moving. It's, it's great. There's these beautiful overhead shots of like of people running through like nature and all of that. I mean, it begs to be seen on the big screen. So, you know, I don't know the powers that be over there over at Hulu and Disney, but you need to re-release this for the big screen because I would absolutely mm-hmm. love to see it. Yeah, and I think the reason it didn't get that was because the Predator definitely, even though arguably maybe wasn't... I still think it probably lost money because even when I was going over the grosses for those movies, when it comes to film production, well, one, if they want to, they can just, to get out of paying certain people, they can always just use Hollywood accounting. And I mean, they'll st- the studio that released Forrest Gump is still trying to tell the original author that the movie didn't turn a profit when we all know mm-hmm. it did, just so they can get yeah. out of paying him. But in that case, the, there's marketing costs that never really get revealed that can usually go into couple double digits, quite a few, as well as just any expenses to get into theaters. So I think it was probably a mixture of them seeing the Predator being underwhelming. And even though people are taking to it, thankfully, I'm sure the, the even though it's filmed in English, originally there's also a dub, it being Comanche tribe, I think that more in the time setting might have scared off the investors. And it could also just be a lot of studios, especially with, I mean, this is still technically a Disney Plus pl- property if you're not in the states it's going to get more people to that platform i do wish this was played in theaters i mean i know there was obviously a couple of uh, early screenings uh that were throughout the country i've seen a couple of people on facebook that got to those i wonder though because i definitely do think that from a box office standpoint it probably wouldn't have done as hot because i think a lot of people a lot of people watched it on hulu and disney plus and i think past the diehards i think a lot of the people were watching it we said it last week, Jose, that sometimes it's easier for you to take the risk on a streaming platform than going out to a theater. I don't know if maybe a lot of them would have taken that risk going to the theater. However, I wasn't able to look up the budget on this movie. I'm assuming it's probably cheaper. And considering it did just release in August, and the only really big movie at this month anyway is Bullet Train, and honestly, there's really nothing in September, I... I feel like it probably would have been all right to release this in theaters. Maybe it wouldn't have made a gargantuan amount of money. And yes, they probably saved money on overhead costs. I mean, that's why Kevin Smith always just does the fathom events and then puts his movies out digitally because he always made a certain amount at the box office and he always made more on home video anyway. So he, it was just always that we're getting away from it now, but that idea of like, if it didn't play in the theaters, was it prestigious enough for people to accept it? But this is much different than a Kevin Smith movie and that this is so gorgeously shot that Yes, I do wish I would have seen this on a big screen. Maybe. Yeah, but it's also just but it's also just the property of yeah. the predator. I mean, 
you know, we talked about the fact that like this film, even though Landon hasn't seen the other films, it's so still part of the cultural zeitgeist, right? Aliens, Predator, you mentioned The Wild Bunch. I had never seen The Godfather until like like maybe eight years ago, but people talked about that mm-hmm. so much. Like I knew about the horse, I the horse head. I knew about, you know, Megan Minaldi, Game of Views. Like, so... To just relegate this to streaming, I, I, I it's a tragedy. Yeah, yeah I'm not agreeing honestly, with the decision, but I, I, I'm trying to they look marketed, at it from the studio. But they did market this one pretty heavily for a streaming release too. So I don't know. I mean, I still saved money, but, I, but they I, marketed it in a way that didn't automatically tell you it was a Predator movie, which uh, I also enjoyed as well. Okay, true, but I, maybe it's just because I, I guess it's hard for. I guess they did. I guess for me, I'm thinking it was pretty obvious it was, but I also knew it was one going in. I the fact that they did market this one pretty heavily, and even if you go and hold on, like this is the big film, even a couple of weeks after, and that's the biggest thing with streaming is they might spend a lot of money on these movies, but after a few weeks, you're not gonna. Whatever else is hot, whatever new show or even older property, if they, you know, they're going to promote that. It's still being promoted heavily when you go onto Hulu's front page, uh, even a couple of weeks after. So I wonder if it was more, not that I can imagine Hulu struggling, but I mean, I guess Hulu's always been more, more synonymous with TV content uh, than film properties. So maybe that's Disney Plus's well, way of trying to bolster its... You know, with Netflix spending the, so much on some of their projects, let's do it with a known IP. Well, I think the problem is that a lot of these streamers, there's no transparency. So they don't give us the numbers which, unless it's a clear all out and out hit, right? Which Prey, I, I forget what it was, but Prey was because they did announce that it had like, I think in this oh, first good. weekend, like 800 some thousand. And I could be spitballing here, but like they announced it like, yeah, we had great viewership right off the bat for this. Um, and you know, I so... I guess going back to my thoughts on the movie, um, it's an all Native American cast or indigenous cast. So I love that. I love the diversity. The actors are absolutely amazing. Um, Amber Midthunder, she's a new, she's a newcomer. Um, people may know her as Carrie Loudermilk from Legion, the FX series, which is also streaming on Hulu. She's part of uh, Roswell, New Mexico, and she was in John Hensley's uh, great thriller, which I think a lot of people haven't seen. It's called Ice Road with Liam Neeson. It's about like uh, yes. truck uh, truck drivers on ice. Um, that particular movie, um, I think people really need to see. It's like Sorcerer updated to like Ice Road Truckers. It's, it's quite something to watch. Um, Dakota Beavers. God, that name. Um, he, <laughs> he plays uh, Tabe. Um, which is, you know, the Nauru's, Nauru character's brother. Um, first of all, he's beautiful. He's, he's oh, Mexican, Native American, English, Scottish. Well, like, I want to marry him. Um, okay. But he is also very strong as an actor as well. Um, the predator here, he's, I mean, look, it, it is what it is when you play a monster, but he does it pretty effectively. The gentleman's name is Dan Deligro. Um, he yeah. actually is a basketball player. He started um, at University of New Hampshire. He played pro basketball in Italy and Israel. And strangely enough, he picked up culinary skills in Italy while he was playing pro. Um, and he actually has his own cooking show, which oh. is uh, kind of weird. Like, hey, Predator cooks. Hey, um, I play basketball. I cook. I am also. I a cook. I'm a predator. I Wait, rip that, maybe spines that's out of why. Uh, maybe that's why I play predator. He's used to 
<laughs> going yes. like this. Smacking people down and ripping out, um, yep. you know. That's why he has basketball. a cooking show. But, um, but nonetheless, the, um, what I also really love is, is the story. Um, mm. One of the, I think I benefited from seeing this film a second time because I'd only seen it once and then I watched it again for the podcast. But the first time that I watched it, my first impression was it takes almost an hour until we actually get the predator yes. attacking people. Um, but, and in the spoiler sort of free zone, I'm going to talk about why that is by design. Um, but one of the things about the screenplay is that it's, it's so horrifyingly, not horrifyingly, but it's surprisingly efficient. And I think some people are going to take that either as badly written or not written, um, but it's actually very efficiently written. Our screenplay is by a man named Patrick Eisen, um, mm -hmm. story by Dan Trachtenberg. Um, Eisen, uh, I can't remember what else he's written. Um, uh, he's a producer, a writer for Jack Ryan, Treadstone, um, the M. Night Shyamalan, Wayward Pines um, television series. He was also a con consulting producer and writer on Kingdom, which is an excellent um, mar mixed martial arts television show. If you've never seen it, it went for like three seasons. It's brilliant. Um, but it, again, it's by design. And uh, just the fact that this is, you know, Native American culture, I wanted to learn more about the Comanche culture um, because I think there's some, some assumptions that we make when we watch this about yep. Nehru's place in the tribe and Comanche culture. Um, and again, in the spoiler free thing, I'm going to, I'm going to say that I think that those are cultural assumptions that I'm making as somebody not familiar with Comanche culture. Um, but it still just dovetails beautifully with the whole female empowerment that she is a woman who, you know, the tribe believes cannot do these things and she does them. And in fact, there is something that is st stated as an out and out rule to her about hunting, which we see her violate and she is successful in kicking predator ass. Um, I'll talk about more of that in the, in the spoiler free stuff, but along the way, there are some pretty fantastic sequences. I mean, like I said, this is the way you reboot, reboot a fan, a franchise, um, you know, from the first time yep. that the predator kills people to the sort of like trampers, uh, I'm sorry, the trappers camp and the assault on there by the predator. Um, and then the final battle, I mean, and they even sneak in a sequence where she goes all John Wick to rescue the dog, which I, I absolutely loved. And, you know, shout out to a couple people. The uh, stunt coordinator is Scott McMichael and the fight coordinator is JJ Park. And they are absolutely brilliant. I mean, there's some great use of nature sliding almost like a, you know, the Wonder Woman school of fighting and what have you. Um, but the second unit director is Jeremy Marinas. He came up through 8711 Action Design, 8711, of course, founded by David Leach and Chad Stelsky. Leach is the director of Atomic Blum and, and Bullet Train. But um, Marinas has worked with McMichael as a fight coordinator on several projects. And I mean, his Marinas's stamp is all over this with the the grappling, the flipping, the, you know, using leverage from like trees and sliding. I mean, it's just, it's, it's great stuff. The fight choreography is, is wonderful to watch. Again, I benefited from a second watch on this because um, I feel like it just improved from the first watch. 
Um, and it's certainly going to be a film that I would revisit. And I think it's a perfect addition to the franchise. So. And Justin, spoiler free. Here so we go. Spoiler free thoughts. Um, you and I are very similar, Jose. Uh, I think we both watched this the weekend that it got dropped. And then just these past few days, both of us got back to watching it again, just to freshen ourselves up for this review. Mm -hmm. And I also feel it helped me a little bit. I liked this the first time I watched it. I wasn't as off-put by not seeing The Predator until later, mainly because that's a fine trope to use in a lot of creature features. I think the reason we're more accepting of it in a Jaws or any first installment of a franchise is once you were getting, this is the eighth screen appearance for The Predator, I feel that you can get a little restless if you already know what's happening. And the way that they do it in this movie, and I noticed it more in the rewatch, that where it works with that screenplay is since it's keeping things so simple and the best, and I mean that complimentary, of not just utilizing the Comanche tribe and how that kind of goes up against the Predator as their own kind of a tribe, but you're showing their hunting skills. You're showing how, like you said, she's violating some of theirs, but also how the Comanche, Comanches hunt animals and then how we see the Predator hunting animals. Since this is an eighth installment, we don't necessarily, or at least I sometimes did struggle a little bit with some of the animal fights, mainly just because arguably not too, too exciting. But on that rewatch, I appreciated them more in the foreshadowing of things to come and how they were adapting to that. The rewatch did show, I didn't think this film, I thought it dragged a little bit the first time I watched it, those first two acts, just because we are having such a simple story of the, you still kind of have an underdog story of somebody being an outcast in her tribe, this case being uh, misogyny, really, just pushing her off. You can't be a hunter because this is the 1700s. Our Comanche women do not do that. It's a very relatable story. Uh, and very empowering, simple, but effective. Where I think it worked so much better on that second watch is when you take it knowing that's going to be the main story. They do a really good job of making this thing actually move pretty fast. You, you get very comfortable with her character as well as the rest of the tribe and even how you can kind of see with Tabe where he's a little bit more understanding and open to her until... Things get a little bit too crazy, and she does kind of mess up one of the hunts that they had because she is the first one to notice the predator is there. Nobody else notices this. So now you have that struggle of making everybody else the believer. And even on that first watch, I did think this was the way to go. If you're going to reboot a franchise or you know do a prequel that's setting the stage in a different way, simplicity is not a bad thing when it comes to... Uh, film scripts, you don't have to be complex. And maybe that's something that I feel some people didn't like about The Predator was the fact that they tried so hard with, you know, the autism angle and then showing the other, the Predator culture that since you're going back to a simplistic st uh, area, I did actually think that they handled this really well. And there's a lot of, there's a certain sequence with mud that maybe a little bit too heavy on the foreshadowing uh, to, to say in the spoiler free area, but they, every moment they time very well to have. And on a rewatch, I didn't feel too long until we got the predator. I think a lot of it does come down on that first watch is you don't really see the predator going after humans, which is always the more interesting thing until, you know, almost close to that final act or at least the hour mark, because the only instances you have is it's arrival you have the even though I have issues with some of the CGI in this I will say on the second watch I actually didn't think the CGI was that bad outside of maybe a few animals there is one really 
well done shot with the CGI. And that is when it's, you know, has the invisible cloak on and you see the ant crawling on it. That was actually really well done. And I, that's actually another shot I would have loved to have seen on a big screen just to see even more detail. And if we're going to be fair here, that invisibility is almost kind of like when you try to put like lightning effects or like thunder effects in movies is it just always, even when done well, there's something that just doesn't look right about it. It just, because you're not going to, obviously you can't make a character legit invisible, but also when it comes to thunder and lightning, you're realistically not going to try to shock somebody with an actual lightning bolt. So it's always going to look that idea of, of course, this is fake. On this rewatch, outside of maybe some of the animals, like a little bit with the bear and there's a kind of a wolf dog scene early on that we see with Predator, I actually didn't think it was too bad. And to go with when he's going after the French trappers about an hour in, on this rewatch especially, I noticed how well they shot that. So they set it, didn't set it completely at night at that scene. They set it almost at dawn. So it's still kind of dark, but you've got a little bit of that, you know, light creeping in. You've got all of the fog and they did a really great job of hiding any possible like CGI effects that maybe didn't look as good. That's why you shoot in the dark a lot. So you don't notice them. You still get a good enough angle of a lot of the mayhem. There's uh, a dismemberment that you get a pretty good, uh, back end shot of that I thought was really well done. And it is a very fun sequence. And this is a case of yes, even on a rewatch, maybe I'm there's still a little bit of area of restlessness since sometimes that simplicity can kind of hurt a project like this since I did want to see more about the Comanche tribe and I would have loved, I did watch the Comanche dub the second time. What helps with that dub, my biggest issue with any kind of dubbing, is if it's not in the language that it was filmed in, words aren't going to match the mouths, and that's going to drive me nuts. A lot there's this isn't a heavy dialogue film to begin with. A lot of it, and I appreciate, is off of body language. Some of it a necessity because if you're hunting, that's how you're communicating. So a lot of character development is done through how the characters handle themselves, uh, especially Amber Mid Thunder, how her character is kind of handling, still being fresh to this hunting idea, but. Also, some, you know, having experienced and analyzed how her brothers and other family members have done this and that connection she has with the dog, like Landon said, that dog acting is amazing. There's a really good chemistry between those two, especially during a pivotal moment later on, which we'll talk about during the spoilers. What I think makes that hurt some people, though, is since it is kind of simplistic, you kind of just sit there maybe wanting to go further. And when it comes to dubbing, it actually works, though, that it is such a quiet film because when you're watching the dub, it feels a little bit more natural because you're, for me, I'm not seeing the lips moving a lot because the way angles are shot, you're not focused on that. I think it also helps that maybe they originally were thinking of shooting this just in Comanche, but maybe got cold feet because this didn't feel like we brought these actors back and did a dub late in the game. The way that this is edited with the sound is more natural than most dubbing is. So it actually felt like it still belonged. So I will give credit where credit's due to that Comanche dub. But I also think they were smart when the French trappers come to, since this is still filmed in English, you had that offhand remark of, well, they don't know other languages like we do. Bam! Sometimes simplicity is perfect, and that's all you need is a line of dialogue, which still goes a long way in showing how smart this Comanche tribe is and why they've been able to survive for so long, and why, when push comes to shove, you 
they can combat or one particular can combat the predator because they have those skills to go. So on a revisit, I would say I'd like this even a little bit more. And I do know a lot of people are hoping that this series, since we've decided to go back into 1719, we're going to keep going with that. We're going to, instead of like keep going with the Comanche tribe, next one, let's put it in feudal Japan. Let's put it in so many different time zones that the predators kept coming back to our earth and putting them into different formulas. And you don't need to reinvent the wheel that much. You can take simple plots, but if you change up the characters, the setting, make it look good, boom, that's a fresh take. That's all you need. So... I would definitely say I the second rewatch made me appreciate this even more. Um, I was going to say that, um, first of all, I think that dog, even though they refer to the dog as a he, I think it's a girl, mm. everybody. Well, everybody is it I think a, it's a girl. Is it a female dog but playing a male dog? Is it or? Yeah, okay. I, I think. Yeah. I, th- I didn't see any giblets, but she's like, yes, okay. he does <laughs> this, he attention? does that, whatever. <laughs> I mean, we did. Send- <laughs> Man, this is turning uh, out to be the worst episode uh, for me. <laughs> for, yeah, for you, for for me, and for Landon, this is a fantastic. You might episode. not have a job after this one. Uh, you I might know, be my I might new host, canceled. Landon. <laughs> Sorry, I'll stop. We have canceled I'll stop. cupcake. I, I, um, this was apparently a hit put out by Landon when he came onto the show. I like. Yeah. This. Um. Yeah. I mean, and. You know, more to your point, Justin, um, you know, I think there should be like a, a banner before the movie that says no CGI animals were 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 harmed in this because other than the dog, everything else is CGI. Mm-hmm. But they are convinced. Okay. I think they're pretty convincing. But you're right. Some of the some of the CGI got a little dodgy. Um, yeah. And to your point, also, with these kinds of films that have a cachet of previous franchise and other movies or you know there's always that danger that because we know it's a predator but the characters don't that you, we as a viewer are going to get bored until they get to the catch up point um but like i told you i think that my the second viewing of this showed me that everything that they did was in fact pretty necessary we'll talk mm-hmm. about that in the spoiler um but uh yeah it it's it's tough when you know where it's going to go but the characters don't, and you're just waiting for them to catch up. Yeah, and it's not um, necessarily tension being built. It's just right. that character development. So, and, and I do think, like you were mentioning, I think maybe exploring the Comanche uh, culture might have actually helped that a little bit more, since I think yeah. refraining a little bit while making it more accessible, I, th- I think that would have engaged me a little bit more. Because on that second viewing, I was more engaged with like when they were going out on hunts and like the hierarchy, I was like, I wouldn't mind a little bit more of this actually. And I also think, and I didn't bring this up, but it just hit me since the rest of these films have always had a layer of camp to them. Like the first one is very, this is the first one that's very serious. 100% through. There's really no, you get a couple of callback lines or I guess in this case, forward lines, uh, if you want to go by chronology, but there's really not anything with that, which helps in it feeling fresh. But I think certain viewers are going to be put off because they're used to having some kind of a humor or just a camp bent or even some cheesiness to it. Not this pretty, not like deathly serious, but a, straightforward dramatic telling of a Comanche tribe. 
Well, I think, you know, quite honestly, with the Predator franchise, I think that the only one that really had kind of a sense of humor is probably The Predator. And and for the listeners, we should make that distinction. The Predator is the Shane Black movie, the fourth movie. Um, and then Predator is the is the yeah. original. Um but, but that yeah, one did they, have, especially early on, you had your the stereotypical, very much 80s. You had Shane Black dialogue because it was still he was still yeah. in that. So it had that going for it until it became your survival thriller. So I think some mm-hmm. people have always kind of maybe expected that from the Predator franchise or were just expecting more traditional creature feature stuff, not... Not closer to the first Alien or even a Jaws in the sense of slowly building up and focusing more on characters. Yeah. And um, uh, to your comment about the the invisible shield thing, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I got to tell you, those effects were always dodgy to begin with. Yeah, and that's, and that's like, my point. It's like every it's, that single... one's hard for it to ever look good. I think a lot yeah. of the complaints I'm seeing are more because of the animals, and that's just in our minds we know what an animal looks like. And I don't, I'm not opposed to them doing CGI animals. If you're going to do this, it's better than to put actual animals in danger. I mean, or even just thinking of Nope, how, you know, when Daniel Kaluuya is there with the horse on the film set, like, that, yeah. yeah, is there a respect for animals that people don't always consider? Like, if we would have gotten an actual bear in this movie, you know, would there have been cast members that just, oh, this is a trained bear, so we can be lighter, you know, more lightweight on the set, not realizing that any animal, no matter how well trained, if it's a predatory type of animal, it can snap in an instant or, you know, still overpower you. This isn't a, a house pet. Yeah. But, I mean, you hear horror stories about, you know, ventures of Milo and Otis. And sometimes, even if it's well-intentioned, like, it's easier on all fronts to, especially in action sequences, to probably use CGI. It's yeah. just, it's going to be more noticeable because we know what they look like and we can had that almost uncanny valley of like, eh, you're not quite, but I mean, on a second rewatch, the second viewing, I did not actually think the CGI overall was honestly that bad. And I thought they did a really good job of, especially with not to go into the sequence too hard, but there is a bear sequence that does suffer from some of the shaky cam quick cut editing, but they make it work from mid thunders point of view for the most part that helps that. Yeah. And I do think yeah. that was intentional. Um, I think this is the best invisible shield we've gotten out of all the movies. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to tell you that. Yeah, much. I'll probably agree with that. Yeah. I mean, the first one, it looked like friggin' Babylon 5 video toaster bullshit. <laughs> There's a charm, though, to that. Maybe that's the other thing. There's always a charm to cheaper looking effects that maybe, <laughs> you know, when we're getting one that's. I don't. You know what? Re- rewatch the new line Lost in Space and tell me if that's charming. It is. It is <laughs> Hold up. Here's the thing that Lost in Space not. should always be charming, though. Should it not? <laughs> it should be. Um, okay. Shall we segue into our spoiler? Yeah, I think, I think we're good. Our spoiler sounds. Okay. I think we're good to get to spoilers okay. now. Okay. So I'll start before I forget. But so for me, spo- you know, in the spoiler zone here. The reason why it takes so long for the Predator get to get here or to get into the movie is because, first of all, they're doing parallel writing. Mm-hmm. They're showing you how the Comanches hunt, and they're showing you their method. And here, they're also showing you the Predator's method. So what's happening is, is that I, I think there's an assumption that the Predator simply comes 
to the planet and then is like, okay, there's the dominant species. Let me go get them. But this predator lands and he is observing, right? So the first thing that he observes is the ant being eaten by the mouse. So he's thinking to himself, okay, is the mouse my predator? Is that who I'm going against? And then the snake eats the mouse and he's like, that's the predator and he kills him. And then the next one, it sort of ups the ante. There is the, I, I believe it's the dog chasing the rabbit. Well, I'm not chasing the rabbit, right? Mm -hmm. I'm chasing the wolf who kills the rabbit. And so that's his other predator. And so he is learning about who the main predators are and who his target is going to be. And so that's why it takes a while mm -hmm. because again, he's evolving and then it isn't until he sees the Indians in that first attack, which that that's fabulous. The Native Americans, sorry, the Native Americans in the first attack, that's a great sequence. But he's like, okay, these are the people I need to be going after, right? And he still doesn't see the female as a threat. Um, and then he sees the trappers. And, and in particular, he is chasing, um, he's chasing Nehru and Nehru almost gets killed. That's that great sequence where they're in the, the grass field and they're ducking. And then she yeah. says, oh no, you know, where he's like, I've got him. And no, no, he's got us. And she takes off running. That was another thing that I also liked was that there's a line that the, again, this goes back to me saying everything you need to know about the film will be shown to you in the beginning. In the beginning of the movie, the mother says, the mother says to her, um, you know, Maybe it's not the beginning of the movie. It might be later. But um, she says, hunting is not just about what you're hunting. It's about survival. And so in that sequence where she's like, oh, no, the, he's got the jump on us and she takes off running. Some people could see that as like fear um, and, you know, being weak. But the thing is, is she has never been afraid to stare whoever is it is in the face and say, that's not who I am, right? She does that to the mother. She does it to the brother. She does it to the jerk that she actually fights, okay? Which, and again, we're playing into the whole, like the predator learning, like who is my, per like who are my top alpha predators that I'm, that I'm hunting? There's that scene that leads to the first attack where the boy says, you're just a woman. You need to go back home because you're not a hunter. And what'd she do? She kicks his ass, which I thought was really great, right? But then, of course, he gets the upper hand, ties her up, and then the predator is like, okay, those are my alphas, and then he goes after them. Um, but what I thought was really, really great also is they always say to her when they're hunting, you don't bait that kind of hunter. You don't bait, um, you don't bait a tiger. You don't bait a whatever. And she's like, well, guess what? I'm not you. That's not how I hunt. And she actually baits the predator with the trapper at the end. She cuts his leg off. She, you know, the rats start eating at his wound, gets him to scream, calls the predator's attention. And then she's like, you know, and, and this is another theme that they go through. She's a woman. So people in this tribe, they don't expect things of her. And so she's like, you won't see me coming until I kill you. And I, I love that about that is that she will be underestimated. It's another reason why I love the, the Charlie's angels movie that I referenced with Elizabeth Banks is, you know, the beginning of that movie, Kristen Stewart says, you know, it takes an average of about five or 10 seconds before a man realizes a woman is a threat. And so that's one of the great empowering things about this screenplay is that, you know, Oh, it's a woman. 
what can she do? Well, she can fucking kill you with her, like, you know, slingshot um, axe thing that she puts together, which is pretty amazing. Um, And then more to the point of where I had mentioned before, you know, it would seem ostensibly that because she's a woman, she can't hunt. But I don't, I think that's an assumption that we're making because on the second watch, the mother doesn't say you can't hunt. She just says there are more things that you can do better and not risk your life than hunting. Why do you want to do that? And her father was a hunter too. And there's another scene where she comes back from the hunt and the harvesting. Cause remember she's harvesting breadroot at the beginning and then she sneaks off to do the ax and then she tries to do the hunt. When she comes back to the tribe, if you look closely, she's as she's walking through, it's not just a pretty shot. It's not just an establishing shot. But if you look at the women in those shots, they are cooking. They are tending to the furs. They are washing clothes. They are, you know, pregnant and like hanging out and just talking to the boys or whatever. And so, again, I think we're making an assumption that in this culture, women are subjugated. I don't think that they are. I think that it's a matter of this is what you do that's good, so do it. And Nauru wants to do more than that because she knows she can hunt. She knows she's smarter. Um, and that's the other thing that they also brought up in the beginning. She's, you know, the, the brother's telling her the story and they're trying to hunt the, the eagle that has the, the, the prey in its claws. And he's all like, you ain't listening to me. And he shoots the, the bird down and she says, great. I was waiting for him to circle back so that we don't have to cross the river and get the person. So she's already, we're already establishing her as a character that knows better and is a smarter thinker than the rest of the people and that she's underestimated. Um, And again, I I love when she like kicks ass to rescue Sari, the dog, because like that's, that's just a scene all its own where she just goes in and she fucking kills all the the trappers and then saves the dog i absolutely i absolutely loved it and so you know again i i think i benefited from that second watch by being the cat by being able to catch all of those things and that it's all by design the screenplay's all by design mm-hmm. um and so the i didn't mind the fact that that our it didn't feel like wasted time to me on the no, second. It, it wasn't. And I noticed that on the second rewatch, because on top of all of those where it's establishing those characters, you also are using foreshadowing the scene, which I mean, I knew it was still foreshadowing, but it holds more weight on that second viewing is the scene where she's stuck in the mud pit. Basically it's acting like the quicksand because that comes back. That's how she defeats the predator. One of the ways is utilizing that. And to your point, what I really like is the fact that I feel the way that the, the screenplay and the story structure is it's Trachtenberg and company are making you make those assumptions, which is very clever because it's the same thing that the predator is doing, but the predator isn't doing it. It's not coming here and really understanding our genders or thinking, Oh, that's a woman. That's why I don't go after it. It's just thinking that because that is how, like you said, with seeing the threats, it's just not seeing it as a threat right now because nobody else is viewing her as a threat. And, by the time he figures out, oh shit, this is the threat, it's too late, and she uses that to her advantage. So I do think, especially on that second rewatch, all the things you touched upon, I thought 
Naru's journey was far more impactful. And it's almost, it almost comes down to, I think the two predator, even though they still have a purpose and I think that they do work showing him with the wolf and the bear, the bear, maybe not as much because it still plays into Naru, but it almost like even getting to the predator early on, kind of distracted from the more engaging Naru character and her journey and getting used to this kind of Comanche tribe. Um, and even with the bear a little bit, I think it worked because when you get to that sequence, it's from her point of view. I kind of wish it would have stayed from her point of view. I think where that scene really got hurt and it's where I think some of the action, it's the worst offender in this movie. And it's honestly not even a negative against this movie. It's just how we are now ever since I would say the born identity where we want to put you into the action. But if you're putting him in the action, the, the person well, in this case, you're not putting, I'm not the bear or the predator. So you're putting me into Nauru's shoes where she's just under, you know, kind of hiding underneath the trees and the stems. And when you get those shots, they're great because it's smart in a way of hiding maybe any CGI eras, errors, but it also makes it very, a very unique point of view to see like this crazy fight going on between this predator and this big bear from this low angle spot makes you feel smaller over these bigger prey. But you also feel where she feels like she's hiding, but she's learning. She's watching its every move. She's not, that's her biggest strength is she's observing everything. And I think rewatching it, knowing that's what her character development was, made me more observant of her observations and made everything more engaging that second go round. Whereas I did feel a little bit distant. I still liked it. I liked everything it was going for, but I felt a little bit distant. The second time I was like, no, I think, honestly, probably could have even gotten rid of I mean, I guess you couldn't have because you would still need it to show how the Predator is learning and it works well with the parallel. But it would have been fine up until that bear scene because really the Predator isn't needed. And also, I think it makes that French Trapper scene where he's dismembering the person on the tree and all that. It makes it all the more sweeter and more insane because you had to wait. You didn't just get all this crazy shit from the start. And it's funny that the, it's funny that they, that they unleash all that while... Amber Midthunder Nauru is sort of discussing all that she has learned and sort of like basically just reinforcing for the audience. This is why you saw all that shit earlier, yeah, right? Exactly. She's like, uh, and she's literally telling the audience, like, that's why you waited 50 minutes for this stuff. So, but I also love the relationship, the dynamic between her and the brother and the fact that the brother was like, um, again, this made me want to watch or learn more about Capanche and Native American culture because the brother was like, this is as far as I go. Like, mm -hmm. he knew that was it. Like, I'm not going to survive this. And, you know, when when Nauru tries to face the bear the first time, it serves the dual purpose of her learning about the predator, but also that, you know— I'm not ready for the hunt. I can't go after I can't go after a bear. I might be able to go after the tiger, but I definitely can't do the bear. And now I've got to just survive. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And what I also um, liked about the French trappers is they are uh, on a template just the idea of like what you see in a slasher movie where you introduce a couple of new characters to up the body count. But what works yeah. here for two areas is one, as I mentioned, the spoiler free, you get that quick line about they don't speak languages like you do. So it establishes that, but it keeps playing into that 
that, like you were saying, the evolution and the predator, seeing what is a threat, what's dominant, why are the French trappers, you know, seen as possibly dominant against the Comanche tribe, and you, it gives a really good sense and feel of that area, because you get so used to just seeing these Comanche tribes that that's kind of what you expect this area to be like, and then you're like, oh, wait, no, there's other, there's these French trappers, there's all these other dangers, which also explains why they could be a little ignorant towards believing or noticing that the predator has arrived outside of the invisibility cloak because the predator, just like the trappers or anyone else, they can be very stealthy. And that's also kind of, I mean, that shows probably why she was also as strong against the predator because she's never let her guard down. Even when she was still trying to figure out what the hell it is that she just saw, you know, she's not going to immediately go, it's this weird creature alien, but she just knows she saw something that, you know, you wouldn't let your guard down when you saw a French trapper. Why do it on this? Landon? Yeah. I'm back. Spoiler uh, thoughts. Yeah, I know. We uh, we get into it, buddy. But uh, sorry about right. that. But like, <laughs> Here we go. Okay. Any thoughts? Go for it. So, first hour is really just Predator up against every animal he finds. For his point of view, I'm talking about just the Predator part right now. My favorite Predator scene... I know Justin will probably freak out as soon as I say it, but the bear scene okay. is um, the best scene out of the whole thing. Just because I don't know why it works so well. Predator going up against some bear just randomly uh, and then Naru hiding in that stick fort, I guess. Um, it works so well with everything just showing how predator could be and um as you were saying the scene when they tied her up against the log and thing was i wasn't expecting like i was expecting a lot of gore but you know not like so as soon as the guy's eye came out it was just a surprise (laughs) it was just honestly just a surprise um what do you think of the effects dodgy i guess like a little yeah. off a little off but most of it worked i really could i honestly thought until you brought it up all the animals were real and not cgi okay but okay okay i knew to death uh the when predator kills them i knew that part was cgi but um but that's it really um now, what did you think, because we haven't touched upon this yet, but since we were okay. talking about the Predator character, what did you think yes. about the way that Naru takes him out, or it out? Now, okay, in that moment when she was tra- trapped in the mud, it was maybe the most predictable thing of all time that she was going to come back to that spot. Mm-hmm. A little bit too heavy, but also yeah. makes sense to do it, but even on that first watch, I was like, that's the she only did- spot where it's such a tricky scene to do, because you play your hand too mm-hmm. much, you know? I was the most surprised of how she really killed Predator, which um, since I watched it first time with uh, Brad from Not a Bomb and my dad. uh, So I was talking about because they were confused how they just killed it. I said because he took off whatever kind of mask that was, but the arrow follows that mask Mm -hmm. wherever it was. And the mask was pointing right at him. So it was very unique of how they killed him. It was a bit surprising. I thought he would just get stuck, but I'm glad they had the... Oh, sorry. No, no, I'm sorry. You go. 
I'm glad they had the shot of him just slowly like rising his head up the mud again because that was great. Yeah, kind of like realizing it. I love that yeah. shot. Mm. Yeah, I like, and you know what's funny? You bring that up because I thought that worked so well because it did catch me by surprise, and mm. especially on that second viewing, I think that just goes to Naru still kind of being able to think in the moment because she knows she can use the predator's own. Oh yeah, yeah actions against it because she kind of after studying it for mm-hmm. so long realized how it's late because she figures out even that water when she you know saves top a and all that because like, he can't see without the mass exactly so, really. so she utilized both the the mud sink area but as mm-hmm. well as utilizing his own weaponry against him and knowing that he wouldn't yep. think about that so i actually thought that was really clever and how that was done yeah and mm-hmm. was also a smart way like you said i mean the, the mud stuff it was so predictable and yeah. way too heavily foreshadowed that it almost worked in its favor because then you let your guard down thinking, well, that's just going to be it. Not this really sweet head explosion off of that. Then, too. Yes. Yeah. The first, the first time I watched it and she was in the, the quicksand or whatever, I turned to, um, I turned to Scott. I'm like, Oh, we're going to get the mud covering scene or whatever. And he was like, no, that's how he's, she's going to kill him. And I'm like, Oh, or whatever. So, I mean, it just goes to show that like everybody can interpret stuff. Mm-hmm you know, in a, in a completely different way, but, but she did learn that the, the arrows follow the laser in that, yeah. in that scene, the first attack scene uh-huh. when she was like tied up. So that was kind of cool. What did you think um, Landon of the, the alien design when he took like the helmet? Oh off? yes. Loved it. Yeah. Loved it. Yeah. It, um, go ahead. It definitely looked heavy alien. Like, I don't want to say inspired, but at the same time, it looks like they kind of took some of the like modeling for the face off of Alien, but then they had to do it in a Predator way. So. Yeah, um, I was really impressed with the design, actually. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Uh, I think we're all used to the Predator having like a full mask, and this one was just over the head. Yep. Mm-hmm. And his, uh, it looked like the brow bone was more like a, like that he could use it as like a battering ram mm-hmm. and his eyes were a little bit more deep set than what, what we're normally used to because the, the predators from the other movies have always looked a lot like the one from the first, but this was yeah. a different design and I kind of dug it. I liked uh-huh. it. Yeah. Now, how did you guys feel about, because since I brought up the, the darkness that was AVPR, they do set that final fight between Naru and the predator in very heavy night, very dark, but yeah. especially on the rewatch, what I kind of liked was that they utilized the snow that was coming down, which added like this kind mm-hmm. of white light, brief lights, but also the yes. predator's blood, which becomes very neon uh, in mm-hmm. this movie. I think because it kind of lights it up. I kind of actually liked how they shot that on the second watch. The first watch I didn't, uh, I thought, even though I love the head explosion, I was like, it's just too dark. But on the second one, I was like, it felt more, potent it felt like there was a reason for it to be dark yeah. not like oh we just have to hide the effects i feel like they had this yeah. vision in their mind of how this final fight's gonna go and we kind of and it works too because that could all almost works in her favor as well because then she is a little bit better at you know navigating the darkness of you know these forests and that and the predator is not so even yeah. in that front it kind of works with her i was curious how you guys felt about that yeah home 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 turf advantage um and just the fact that like you know it's just it just comes from her hunting skills you know it's just it's 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 easier to obfuscate when there's less light 
Um, and it certainly works for the story. They don't have to go all effects heavy or whatever. Um, and the, just the beautiful imagery of her jumping out of the, jumping out of that tree and sort of like a pro, you know, on top of the predator. I love, I, I loved it. The way that they staged it was really great. Yeah. I loved the whole setting of it. Like the whole setting of it was perfect for a prequel. And then, and then just the whole like sort of full circle, um, you know, when, when Nauru wakes up in the beginning, she has war paint on, which you quickly yeah. begin to discover that like the women don't wear the mm-hmm. war paint, only the hunters do. Um, and so it comes full circle with her, like with the neon. I, I love that end shot of her with the, the neon predator blood all over her face and this sort of look like. I'm a hunter. Which they <laughs> like use I on the posters. So realistically, yeah. we probably didn't have I to know. call this the spoiler section. The posters no, are already spoiled. But, <laughs> but it's such a it great shot true. that I know yeah. why they use it. It's so, so cool. And to be fair, I mean, it's not really a spoiler. You go in thinking she gets its blood on her face and then like, in one yeah. fight and doesn't, you know. But yeah. no, it's a, it's a gorgeous shot. I really kept comparing the fight. Um, of Naru and Predator before she really like got stronger. I was I was kept saying to myself, "Oh, this is gonna be a Ray versus Kylo Ren moment, <laughs> where somehow she picks up something for the first time and just kills someone who's been doing it for who knows how long." Well, they also set that up where, um, and I couldn't understand why they slowed down the story for this mm-hmm. um, when the one trapper with the one leg is like, "Hey." Help me and I'll teach you how to use the gun. I thought for sure that she was going to off him with the gun or what have you. So that was a nice surprise that Mm. that there was the whole setup. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole like, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy Krueger, Nancy Trap that she set. Yeah. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Now, this one is going to be more of a question, I guess, for Jose, because uh, Landed, you haven't seen the other ones. There is, and it's not as strong. Most, uh, I talk about hardcore fan base earlier with the Resident Evil. The hardcore fan base does seem to really enjoy this, but there is some contingents. um, And the only thing that I kind of noticed, and honestly, even when I noticed it, I didn't care. But one of the biggest proponents of the predator franchise has been heat and how you know it's more attracted to heat and colder environments and here it doesn't really seem to matter i mean the the snow doesn't seem to affect him uh or any of the night again i didn't really care i also think you just wave uh hand wave it away by maybe different species in this predator tribe can handle certain things better um is that something that you, you thought of jose during this, or even you know, honestly, I, Landon, just because you at least read up enough about this this character yeah. that I'm sure that got mm-hmm. mentioned. Is that honestly, something that bothered I, you? I, honestly, I didn't really think about that. I think um, that the different look of the Predator is certainly by design. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's set in 1719. Who's to say that there aren't further generations that... Yeah maybe they develop some sort of evolution thing where they don't like the heat or, you know, what have you. But addressing the hardcore fan base, all of the key sort of predator moments are there, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah, you get the if call. It ble- yeah. If, it, yeah. if it bleeds, oh, we yeah. can kill it. If um, we have the the cleaning of the skulls and the trophies, we have the self-healing Rambo moment where it's sewing itself up or whatever mm-hmm. it's doing, you know? So all the, all the predator key moments are there, um, which is great. Um, and they're not but, too heavy handed. I mean, maybe that line mm-hmm. a little bit, even though I still liked it in the moment and it worked, but I, yeah. I really appreciated the fact that you didn't go too fan heavy on the fan service in that regard. Like let it be its own thing. Yeah. 
Right, but it's yeah. all but it's all still there, which is great. But just I not, love yeah. the um I there's a meme that's circulating. Have you guys seen it of the predator? And it says uh it's him sitting on a log sulking with his like head down, and it says why does everybody say if it bleeds, it can kills? Why don't they think if it bleeds, he feels it? or whatever? <laughs> that, that's the next one. No, no, no. Forget feudal it's Japan. A- the next one is a drama. It's looking into the one of those predators feeling, you know, he's getting overlooked. He's just looked at. It's yeah. the opposite of, you know, they just see me as a hunter. But what? Oh, man. Yes. Let's do it. Well, now, Justin, that you brought book. up the point. Um, predator follows heat, right? Mm-hmm. So why is he following Naru while it's snowing? I mean, it doesn't bother me. Yeah. It's I just think at that point, I point. just accepted it as he had already, because he uses the heat when he's tracking something maybe for the first mm-hmm. time or trying to feel yeah. out. At that point, when it's snowing, they've already established, you know, Naru is a threat and they were kind of already engaged yeah. in that that trapper battle and all that. So I, for me, I just accepted it as he's already locked one to her. So mm-hmm. the snow wasn't going to really affect that. Like he, if, if that was the first time he saw her, maybe a little bit, but in this case, he's already used that investigation. And maybe that's why she put the campfire around the yeah. one guy that had the leg to attract him towards Ooh. it even more. Very. Yeah, I didn't yes. even think of that. So, yeah. so I was going to say they set that up in that scene and she realizes that because he's, he's close to the fire and being quiet, the predator doesn't acknowledge that it's a human sitting there until the guy yells out after he steps on it by accident. And so I think the snow is providing cover for her because everything is cold. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and so, you know, she knows that she can get the jump on him if, you know, um, she stays out of his radar, you know, and then maybe the, the mud is making her appear cooler and that kind of thing. So, yeah. 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 And I also know, and again, it's not one that most people even seem to care about, but when I was just looking, and that's the only thing I could really find, because I've heard some people make the complaints, oh, there's some inconsistencies with the Predator franchise. That's the only one I could really even see being brought up. There was a few yeah. where, for the most part, this is historically accurate towards, you know, how the Comanche tribes acted and spoke. I think there might have just been, uh, maybe at that exact time period, they wouldn't have been there. But, I mean, I don't really care when I'm coming to a Predator movie at that part. is so pinpoint accurate. We're not watching, yeah. you know, a rec- creation of the Alamo or something where, yeah, maybe your historical accuracy should be a little bit more on point. And at the end of the day, especially to go back to hardcore fans of Predator, uh, Jesse Ventura loved this. I don't know if you saw that tweet that he put yes, out. I did see just that. that very sweet that. treat, uh, not just praising the film, but also praising Amber Mid Thunder, especially, and just she responded to it. Like, I don't know how to respond to this. Thank you so much. I just, it's nice to see stuff like that. Yeah, I confess I don't know much about Native American culture, no, but I can I. say I can say that seeing this makes me want to learn more, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, uh we've always learned that the indigenous people got the terrible end of the stick and it's still continuing to this day with the treatment on reservations and and sort of uh, doing an end run around some of the laws as well. There actually was a recent decision that sort of truncated some of their rights as well. Um, if I read that correctly, maybe I have to go back and see it. But but um, it, it's just all done really authentically and, and beautifully. And it, it got me interested in their culture. Um, and, and just to also say this to some of the listeners, the Comanche dub, um, 
you can hear it in the original Comanche language as they're speaking. But the problem is, is that the the actors spoke English when they made it. And so what you're, you're hearing the Comanche language, but they're speaking English. Um, and I, I, I would have loved if they had gone full authentic, but I think you risk the incident that happened with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which is that, um, you know, a lot of the actors cast in that movie spoke Cantonese um, and they wanted it to be in Mandarin. And so instead of them speaking Cantonese, they phonetically fed all the actors um, the Mandarin language. And so what they're speaking is authentic Mandarin throughout the entire film. But the problem is, is that when it finally came out, the Mandarin language speakers were like, it's sort of, it's sort of like asking people to do Shakespeare who had just learned Spanish. Like they're like, they're awful and they sound awful. So there was a big yeah. controversy over that. But so, anyway. what I think actually worked with the Comanche dub, especially having seen the English, was they still have moments where they're going to speak in Comanche in the movie because they've established they know all these language. So that kind of actually helped the Comanche dub as well because it didn't feel it still felt not natural considering you had scenes even in the English dub where they briefly uh, speak in Comanche. Yeah. Yeah. And before I forget, Any... for spoilers, I did take this note uh, because my this has been making the rounds on social media. My my brother, my brother, my cousin's husband uh, sent this to me. So the seventeen fifteen Raphael Adolini gun. I probably butchered the name. Anyway, there's the gun that they use in this movie. Yeah, Predator that, Two. Yeah, right? it was actually already in Predator Two, which even I didn't yeah. pick up on. So that's really yeah. cool. Which is probably maybe some of the idea that they had here, but it's cool that even back in Predator 2, since they were already establishing the Predator as a, a beast, as alien species that has visited multiple times, that even back as far as 1990, they maybe had this idea of eventually doing something like a prey. So Yeah, 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 that's great. Any further thoughts before we wrap it up? I'm, I think I expanded on everything that I wanted to. <laughs> I think me too. Yes, Landon. I think Landon also thinks we did too. Sorry. <laughs> yes. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> Sometimes yeah, I got to tell you, this good. is exactly like being in the room with us. This yeah. is when which Justin comes to visit. This is which exactly. he would know. He I was, remember that. He was, yes, he was there. He remember. Uh, the one summer. I remember. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So I guess to wrap it up, Justin, watch, skip. Prey, directed by Dan Trachtenberg and streaming on Hulu. Definitely watch. And since we were talking about it, if for whatever reason this gets a brief theatrical run or even like a Fathom event, well, I know Fathom has its issues, but if for whatever reason this gets a couple of showings at a theater, I would definitely say also go out to the theater and check this out on a big screen as well. Yeah, it's definitely a watch for me. If it and yeah, if it does release in the theaters, please run and see it. It is is well worth your time. I guess you could say we should pray for it to get to a theater, right? Yeah, please pray. Uh, <laughs> I provide the dad jokes. And Landon Masaki, son of samurai, how do you feel about prey? Uh, it's definitely an easy watch. Um, Excellent. I really don't care what if you like it or not. Just watch it. It should be watched. Um, but yes, if it is in theaters, go see it there as well. Because I'm pretty sure it's made for one of those big screens. It definitely was Most shot definitely. with it that mind. It was for sure shot. Yeah, like. For sure. For sure. All righty. Well, I guess that is a wrap. 
Um, and again, uh, if you want to send us an email, uh, you can send it to watchskipplus, no periods, spell out all of the words at gmail.com. We'll certainly read it. Send us your thoughts on this. Send us your thoughts on episode one. Send us your thoughts on what you think we can improve on. Should we cancel uh, cupcakes? And- <laughs> should I be canceled? Should, should he have his own segue where he murders children? <laughs> should Landon, son of samurai, be on more? Oh, send us yes. your thoughts. Absolutely send us your thoughts. <laughs> Justin. Uh, yeah, that's uh, all of those things. Again, make sure to check us out on all the podcasting platforms now, your Spotify's, your Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Apple. All you have to do is go to our anchor.fm slash watch dash skip page, and all of the links are right there. Send us your feedback. Uh, play around with that anchor message thing. I'm curious how that works yeah. as well, if you can. And as always, first and foremost, Landon. Thank you so much for coming on and yeah, putting up you. with us. Thank you so much, Landon. And yes. possibly canceling Cupcake, yeah. even though uh, I will miss him. I will miss uh, him. I can say some more right now, but I'll, 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 call myself. I'll call myself. But as always, with the rest of you, I hope that you always decide to listen, not skip us, and remember that you are all mm. the plus. Plus.